0: Fefferman.
1: And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Juanced.
0: The show that challenges popular conceptions, thinks critically, examines independently, and most of all, seeks nuance.
1: Each episode features a different guest. We'll dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, tech, culture, and more connected to Israel and the Jewish world.
0: No talking points, no script, no agenda, just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us.
1: Join us as we explore, think, discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen.
0: Juanced. You know, like nuanced, but with a J.
1: Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Greetings out there in podcast land, everybody, and welcome to Juanced, the show that brings you a nuanced exploration of Israel, the Jewish world, and beyond. I'm Benny Shoulder.
0: I'm Dan Pfefferman. We are thrilled to be bringing you another great episode of Juanced.
1: Before we get going today, I'd like to give a shout out to our audience watching us on Facebook Live. Thanks for tuning in. And for those of you listening on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and all the other podcast platforms later in the week, know that there's a live video version of the podcast, which you can check out every week. It's available on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast. Check it out when we record or watch all our episodes on our YouTube channel, Juans Podcast, as well as on our website, You guessed it, www.juwants.com.
0: Also, make sure you're following us on Instagram. We are at Juance and on Twitter, at Juance Podcast. And as always, if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to Juance on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We heard a rumor once that it might make a difference even if you leave us a five-star review. So please do so. So
1: Benny,
2: Where are you? You you may think I'm
1: in Hawaii because of my shirt. I'm not. I'm actually in uh, beautiful, sunny Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, The the city of my.
0: Literally never been said before sunny Minneapolis.
1: It's said often by people in the summer in Minnesota. Uh, I'm from here in the summer here. I was just explaining to our guest, uh, Jonathan, is is basically if it was like summer in Minnesota year round in Minnesota, it would be a paradise and everybody here would be wearing Hawaiian shirts year round. Uh, but unfortunately, the summers here are quite short and uh, and sweet, so you got to make the most of them. Uh, no, I'm actually in the States uh, visiting my family after a long and arduous COVID exile, uh, and, and it's quite the thing. Um, I, I actually did the math. It had been exactly 500 days since the last time I traveled uh, out of Israel, uh, wow. from the day that I returned to the day that I uh, was able to get out, uh, and... Dude, it is. I mean, you know, it's it's like a breath of fresh air. Um, to, to, without saying anything too uh, too awful, it's it, Israel's a pretty uh, pressurized place uh, in general, and then you add to that the pressure of COVID, and then kind of like the Yiddish mama type, uh, you know, blowing things over proportions of everybody as to what's going on and how to handle it. it's. It, it's been a hard time, so I'm happy to be here, uh, and I'm happy that we're able to continue this even though I'm, uh, I'm far away from the studio. so
0: yeah, absolutely. And we've got uh, our special guest, Jonathan El Hory, with us, who's sitting in a dungeon <laughs> for some reason.
2: Yeah, I love the dark.
0: <laughs> where, where are you speaking to us from, Jonathan?
2: Um, you I'm to, speaking to from location <laughs> um, from, uh, from home uh, in Tirata Carmel near Haifa in the north of Israel. And uh, here it's really important to stay inside during summer because humidity here is crazy. So make sure to <laughs> close your blinders on and just stay home with air condition on.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, what have you been up to this uh, summer so far?
2: Um, well, actually, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, um, last month, I had around, about like 15 to 16 lectures, um, engagements, like speaking engagements that I did about like my personal story and, and the things that we're going to talk about here. And um, working a few jobs at um, the same time. So this is a typically Israeli thing to do.
0: Yeah, work as many jobs as you can at the same time.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> know exactly what Don't
2: is. get any sleep. <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if summer is here, but I have not felt like it's summer. Um, really? I, I don't get a vacation.
2: Where?
0: I don't know. I, I've been working like crazy. I just started a new job. Um, so this is the first time we're mentioning it on the show. You know, I started a new job with Sharaka. Jonathan, you're very familiar with the organization.
2: Congratulations.
0: Um, thank you. Congratulations. Kind of connected to uh, an organization that you're affiliated with. Um, and Sharaka, you know, we're working on the UAE, Israel, and from UAE, Israel to try to influence the world. And so I, I jumped in deep end, you know, had to swim really fast from the beginning uh, while I'm still at the JPPI. And uh, now that we have new leadership at the JPPI, uh, things have picked up and we're, we're you know, working fast and, and trying to produce. And uh, my wife's a teacher, usually she has summers off, but because of COVID, She's been, you know, they've been doing extra time and going into the summer and she's responsible for the matriculation exams, the baguliot. Oh, wow. So um, she actually literally just finished uh, overseeing the last of the matriculation exams. So finally, now it is the beginning of July and finally she's on summer vacation. But uh, I don't know, even though it's hot outside, I'm, I don't feel like I'm on, it's summer just because I have to work so hard. But uh, anyway, Let's uh, let's hope that this uh, podcast is a nice break, at least for all of us. And uh, Benny, you want to lead us off with an announcement?
1: So check it out, guys. As you know, Juanced is a listener-supported podcast, which means that we rely on the generous support of listeners like you to make sure that we're able to bring in top-quality, high-caliber guests such as Jonathan and others to the show, uh, as well as to make sure that we're able to continue to uh, – to, to look so nice in our Hawaiian shirts and in Dan's, like in Dad's case, all of his uh, beard grooming and, and so on and so forth. No, but seriously, guys, we we really we really rely on your support, uh, and we would love it if you would join the more than uh, how many
0: countries do we have listeners? We have at the listeners moment? now in 127 countries.
1: That's a lot of countries. So we would love it if you would join uh, one, one of the join as a listener in one of 127 countries or more. Uh, in, in, in listening to Juanced, you can support us uh, by making a one time contribution on our PayPal account, or if you prefer uh, to make an ongoing contribution to the show on our Patreon account. You can find out more details on how on our website,
0: www.juanced.com. And if you are an organization, a Jewish community, a company, a product, a service, a spot, and you want to sponsor an episode, you are also welcome to do that. Actually, next week, Benny, we are having a special uh, live Juance uh, Juwants Live sponsored episode for the Orange County Jewish Community Scholars Program. And we will be hosting on the show Rabbi Tamar Elad Applebaum, who is a fascinating uh, character on the Israeli religious scene. Um, so make sure to join us next week. And if you want to contact us to see how your organization or company uh, can sponsor an episode, a Juwonst live episode, or just to sponsor an episode, then once again, you can reach out to us on the website, juanced.com. So without further ado, Benny, you want to introduce our special guest today? I don't know. I want you to introduce our special guest you want today. To our special guest today. Okay. So we have with us Jonathan El who is an Israeli-Lebanese, that, that's a weird thing to say, an Israeli-Lebanese-Christian- speaker, public diplomacy advisor, commentator, advocate for Israel, and a guy who's got a pretty good head of hair. He founded and coordinated the Minorities Project for the Reservists on Duty organization between 2017 and 2020. The Minorities Project is the first of its kind in which Israeli minorities present their own perspective about life in the democratic Jewish state and their part for its success today. Jonathan is the son of a former South Lebanon Army SLA officer, or tzadal in Hebrew, and you'll tell us how to say that in Arabic in a second, who fled to Israel, this is an incredible story that we're going to get into, along with his mother and brother in 2001, after his father was forced to leave Lebanon following Israel's withdrawal from South Lebanon in May 2000. He's the former spokesman for the Christian Empowerment Council that focuses on integrating the Christian population of Israel into Israeli society through national and military service, Jonathan writes and gives talks, lectures about the situation of Christians and other minorities in Israel, the integration and rights of the South Lebanese army, veterans and their families. He comments on Israeli-Arab relations in the Middle East for Israeli and other media. Jonathan, welcome to Juonst
2: yeah well it's good to be here thank you for having me and just have to be honest i didn't know that you were gonna just like read it all i was like i i always get nervous when when they, they read my bio because they're like okay oh my god like you could have made it like way shorter
0: <laughs> i know the feeling but uh but that's who you we are. didn't know
1: what to cut out it was also impressive and interesting
0: we we've had much longer bios don't worry yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, but, it, but it is funny, you know, when you speak and, and it's your bio and it's who you are and it's what you've done and it's how you'd like to be presented. And, and, but to sit there and listen to someone else read it,
2: exactly. It's like, oh, okay, this this is, is a- embarrassing. It's <laughs> a is,
0: little awkward. Did, did I actually do all this? Did I accomplish all this? Is this who I really am? It's, it's, it's kind of like, 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 am a, I exaggerating or like. like <laughs> but nobody will ever know except uh, you and, and your family. So it, it's all good.
2: No, about like the work thing, it's like pretty obvious. Like you can just go and search it. Like you can invent things that you did. When it's like public, when it's public activity, you can't.
0: Right, 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 right. The hardest thing is um, when you're looking at people from from the business world and and they have these, you know, inflated bios, you have no idea what they say, what it means. CEO of this or that. Is (laughs) it a two person company? Is it a company that never did anything? Is it a hundred people? You have no idea but uh we we've actually um you're one of these people that i feel like i've known you for a long time but i don't know if we've actually ever met
2: yeah i don't think that we ever met but yeah. like we follow each other on facebook yeah. for a long time exactly. a really long time like for years
0: exactly so i feel like i know you <laughs> yeah same way
1: this is still a Zoom podcast, so is this like, does this count as an actual meeting, or are we going to have to
0: count. actually no, but I, I don't know. I don't know if we've met, like, maybe at, at conferences that we've maybe spoken at together. I, I don't know. I, I
2: Maybe in the Knesset, like, one of the committees, like, a few years ago, perhaps. or maybe, like, abroad somewhere. Yeah,
0: you know what? We have met. We have met. And I can't place it, but I know I've met you physically. I know we talked. We exchanged cards. I, I remember that for sure. Anyway, we digress. We don't need to pull over <laughs> So, you know, just jumping from your bio into, you know, your, your ID card is like, okay, he's Israeli, he's Lebanese, he's Christian. What, what's going on? Take us through these layers. Who are you?
2: Oh, wow. Like I'm, I'm all of this and I'm everyone in particular. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, God didn't uh, hold his hands while he was creating me. Like he just like, like the Powerpuff Girls, you just like accidentally threw everything inside the pot, and then like I was created. I don't have superpowers, but I do speak three languages, so I think this is something that is
0: that's a superpower.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, does
0: so, it, what does it mean? First of all, what does it mean that you're Israeli but you're Lebanese? Explain us how that works. Explain to our listeners. So I was
2: I was originally born in Lebanon, uh, in South Lebanon, in Marjayoun. Uh, this is a village that it's about eight kilometers, like two miles away from the Israeli border. And um, and this and I was born there to a Christian family that has been in that area for centuries. Um, we like followed back our ancestors and we found out that we had like 14 generations of priests in, wow. in, in that area. And my last name, Al-Khuri, is the priest in Arabic. So it's like the kohen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm kohen technically, cool. um, and I know that many kohen like Jewish families in Arab countries change change their names to Khuri. I know like some Jewish families that are named Khuri as well because they wanted to kind of blend in. I don't know if there, they chose like Christian would help them, <laughs> but it did help them there, like kind of.
1: Were there a lot of Jewish people living in Lebanon?
2: Not the day that I was born Um, I think there's like about 17 maybe like to 20 or maybe 100 people only today in Lebanon that are Jewish and they live in really particular area in Beirut they have a synagogue that actually was uh, uh, almost destroyed by the explosion in Beirut airport in Beirut uh, port uh, last year and actually a lot of people in Lebanon really helped to uh, to re Going to be how do you say it like the uh, chapets?
0: Um, uh, refurbish.
2: Refurbish, oh, okay. yes. Wow. Um, so it was
1: once upon a time like a very, a very big, uh, uh, important community.
2: Oh yeah, they they stayed in Lebanon until the 70s, 80s, uh, when the civil war in Lebanon started. And then like everyone was against everyone, and then the extremist Muslims turned against the Christians. Uh, in Lebanon, that used to be the majority, and they started the civil war because of, as well, the PLO that was controlling all of South Lebanon. Uh, it's like the Lebanese government uh, signed on Cairo agreement that technically said that all of South Lebanon's territory is not going to be owned by Lebanon. Um, Lebanon is not going to have any sovereignty of that area, and they just gave the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, with the Yasser Arafat, Complete autonomy on that area, and they just did whatever they want. They threw rockets towards Israel. They they butchered us. They they uh, came after the Christians in those areas, wow. and that ignited the civil war, uh, leading to it. Um, eventually, the Christians there said, "Well, who's suffering from the same terrorist organization like we are?" And both of us are minorities in the Middle East, so they thought they saw this is a great opportunity to kind of start uh, um, sharing life together, leading it, hopefully, to a peace agreement between Lebanon and Israel. And it almost happened. It almost happened in May 1983. We had a peace agreement with Lebanon, uh, but the only person who didn't sign it was the Lebanese president. Even the Lebanese government signed it. Even the Lebanese officials signed it. Israel signed it. But the Lebanese president, like the last... Signature wasn't put there, and uh, after six months, it was disputed. I, that,
1: that's it's, incredible, and, and I think a lot of people, most people, probably do not realize that um, no. they, they don't they don't think about the piece that could have been, and they don't know those those bits of information that are actually quite stunning uh, when you hear them. And, and it's not something that's clearly it's not something that's talked about often today. Uh, what 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 do you think? Ha- like that the president at the time, if I remember, was. Shit.
2: Uh, I mean, Jamail. You, you mean yeah. Israel or a little bit? Yeah. No, no, no. Israel.
1: Lebanese president. And yeah. what was he under international pressure from from the Iranians not to sign, or what was?
2: Yeah. The deal? Well, uh, I mean, Jamail uh, had his brother in his his sight when he was thinking on signing this agreement. Bashir Jamail. Bashir Jamail is his brother. It's really nepotism in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Um, Bashir Jamail was the president, and he was kind of supported by Israel as well. So in 1982, when he was elected, he was assassinated a few days after because of his lenient towards Israel and wanting to have a peace agreement with Israel. Um, so after him, him? Hmm? sorry? Who, was that? Who assassinated him? Um, Syria. Syria. Syria had him assassinated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and after that, Syria, but everyone like they were working together. Um, afterwards, Amin Jmail had his brother's image saying, okay, if I will sign this agreement, I'm gonna be next who's gonna be assassinated. So he decided not to do so. Because if we wanna talk about the South Lebanon army and its creation, the South Lebanon army came out of this agreement uh, of civil civil, uh, initiative of soldiers that are being in the belt zone. That's what it used to be called uh, the security zone in South Lebanon. Right. And it will be controlled by this organization that was supported by the Lebanese government for the first few years. This is no one talks about it for today. They always like label us as the traitors, but the Lebanese government was part of it. And this is something that is really important for us to always talk about and, and bring to light.
0: I mean, first, I, I don't think most people are aware. I mean, a lot of people are aware that there was a Lebanese civil war and it's it's a very ethnically fractious state. Um, You know, some people say it's not even really a state in a lot of ways. Uh, You said it used to be a majority Christian, today it's not anymore. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of the Christians um, already, I think even going back to the 1920s, the Christians who were probably the more educated and had uh, the diaspora and the connection to the French uh, uh, colonialists were able to emigrate more and so you have strong strong, uh, and successful Lebanese diasporas around the world and a lot yeah. of them, you know, going back are Christian. And then today, if I'm not mistaken, the Shia are the biggest ethnic group. And then you have Sunnis and you have Christians. You say, Of course, you have Druze and there's different types of Christians. So, you know, it's, you know people talk about how Israel is, is a mix. But Lebanon, I think, is even more of a mix in that regards.
2: Oh, yeah. Lebanon is way worse than that because every community is against the other communities. So, like, the Muslim Shia and the Muslim Sunni, are against each other the christians that are like catholic and the christians that are maronites and the christians that are greek orthodox everyone in his way is trying to to push to his side so this is something that people don't really get so for example when i talk in israel with muslims about shia and sunnah they will be like oh my god we're all muslims like what are you talking about i was like but go like two minutes to the border and see that it's not how it works. It's really easy for you to say that because we don't almost have Shia in Israel. We have like a few. Um, so it's really it's like they can't get how it could be like in that way. And for a person who lived it, I really like saw it in front of my eyes. And if you follow Lebanese politics, you can really get it and understand it. Um, and this is, this is not a typical country, uh, Lebanon, because um, today, it, since the forties, The christians in lebanon are refusing to have census so we don't actually know what are the actual numbers of the different types of religions that are on are in lebanon but the assumptions
1: sorry i have to just pause you for a second you said that they refuse to have to submit to the census yes why
2: because they know that they are a minority and if they do so it will change how the parliament in lebanon looks like today uh, because in Lebanon the Parliament works on basis of percentage in the society uh, in the country itself. so for example um, because of the like the, the 40s today you have like 22 seats for Shias, uh, another so- and so for the Sunnis uh, the, and the Christians have the majority of the house uh, and they have the presidency so if they they so now they kind keep a, a, some sort of lead, uh, uh, for themselves and that's why they refuse to do census because the assumptions today that there is between 20 to 30 percent of christians only in lebanon and the rest are are shia a majority and then sunni and then are, the jews
1: where do those numbers figure historically uh is that is that more or less what it had been historically speaking or has lebanon similar to many places within Israel or let's say Palestinian society, has it seen a decrease or a, uh, a decrease in its Christian population towards emigration uh, abroad?
2: Yeah, exactly. Like uh, um, even Dan mentioned it, the wealthy people and the people that are more educated are leaving Lebanon since even before the civil war started during the 20s, 30s, and then later on uh, in, a, in really big numbers during the civil war in the 70s. So for example, today you have about 7 million uh, Lebanese living only in Brazil uh, or in Chile. So this is something that um, you can see that the people know that suddenly their territories stopped being a majority.
1: I, I know even even where I am right now in Minneapolis and in the United States, there's a very large and vibrant Lebanese diaspora community. Uh, he, here in this city, there's in, in the neighborhood that I'm in, there's there's like a little Lebanon area where it's like a, a whole street of Lebanese restaurants, Lebanese Maronite churches. This is the best restaurants, uh, by the way. I'm sure they are.
2: I have to say, uh, and,
0: Lebanese food, and, I think, is the best in the Middle East.
1: It no, it's the best, but without a doubt, and 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 all over there. I mean, there are so many Lebanese people that are that are whether they're celebrities or prominent business people or prominent engineers or scientists, or, or you name it, uh, you know, very similar. In fact, to, I would say like to draw a parallel to the Jewish people, you know, a very, a very small diasporic community uh, that's interspersed all, all around the world has achieved a lot of success probably by values of education and community togetherness and helping one another. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that it's like that actually Trivia, Dan. Do you know that the world's wealthiest uh, individual that is not Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk is Lebanese? Carlos Slim.
2: Really?
1: Carlos Slim. Yeah. The He's Mexican, a Mexican billionaire.
2: Mexican Lebanese. He okay. was the uh, the president um, of, of like the prime minister of, of Mexico.
1: No no
0: no no no. a billionaire in Mexico. I think he owns like one of the oh. oil companies. I have to say our friend Yara is is listening and she said don't start a food debate. <laughs> <She's> like, Syrian. <laughs> Syrian food is amazing too. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yara. Yeah,
2: but Lebanese is better.
1: <laughs> but Jonathan, okay, so you're you're but you're an Israeli Lebanese, which is probably the smallest Lebanese diaspora community.
2: Oh yes.
1: <laughs> By far. We're
2: about 3,500 people. Okay. It's only and, 680 families.
1: <laughs> and how did this community get its origins in in Israel? Does it predate the modern state of Israel or is it, uh, is it later?
2: No, we came in, in 2000 after Israel. Israel stayed in Lebanon from 1982 till 2000. Um, it was like a military invasion. A lot of people love to call it occupation, but it wasn't an occupation because Israel was never had any intention in occupying South Lebanon. So, so after Israel's invasion to, to South Lebanon with basically being welcomed by the majority of the Lebanese in South Lebanon, it wasn't just you know a regular invasion. Um, so, so basically uh, we had to flee in May, 2000. So my father fled that day and the majority of the Lebanese community here today in Israel came in May, 2000. Um, only my mom, brother, and I, we came a year and a half after. We stayed in Lebanon under Hezbollah uh, uh, threats. Um, and so, so this is us. So we, we we're 100% Lebanese that came to Israel, and now we're 100% Israelis. But yeah, this is Lebanon, kind of a Lebanon. unique identity. And did Israel was, give... Did, us did
0: is, Sorry, one sec. Uh, take us back to, to Lebanon, if you don't mind. Because we mentioned in the intro the South Lebanese army. And I think a lot of people, you know, Benny and I are kind of Middle East modern history geeks, but a lot of people might not be aware or they're not aware of all the intricacies of things that came out of the civil war that you talked about. So just explain to us what was the South Lebanese army? Your father was an officer in it. Um, How did it form? What was its role? And you mentioned kind of the connection to Israel, but just if you could explain to us a little bit more about the South Lebanese army.
2: Yeah, sure. So, So the South Lebanon army... Um, in Arabic, it's called جنوبي, uh, um, the army of the south, south, south of Lebanon. Um, it was a legitimate military uh, presence there that always had 3,000 soldiers. You can't have more than 3,000. It was like written by like Lebanese laws and Israeli laws as well. Um, no, was it
0: part of the official military? Was it a militia, a paramilitary? What was it?
2: So it began as, as a joint organization in south of Lebanon because we didn't have any Lebanese military there. Uh, leading it eventually when Israel entered Lebanon, um, they were formed as an official military that was supported first by the Lebanese government. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically the Lebanese government send uh, 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 Major Haddad, for example, the, 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 the first general, of the South Lebanon army, he was sent by the Lebanese army to be part of it and create this organization. So the the beginning, the salaries, uh, uh, um, equipment, everything was done by the Lebanese military forces. Uh, Later on, Israel entered to the picture, and uh, Lebanon kind of withdraw out of it. And Israel took over it. And then we were part of uh, the Ministry of Defense in Israel part of the IDF, it wasn't like absorption to the IDF, but it they always worked together. So you had bases that are mixed bases. You had ba- like military bases that were only for the IDF. You had like military bases only for the South Lebanon army, but they were always 100% synchronized. They always went to missions together. They always helped each other out with uh, uh, um, like uh, information. Uh, they always uh, had each other's backs, and that's how they worked. They they coped and co- cooperated for eighteen years till May two thousand when Israel decided to withdraw out of Lebanon.
0: Against who? Who was the who were they fighting against, or who were they operating against?
2: So at the beginning, it was the PLO till they kicked Yasser Arafat and the head of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, that was a terrorist organization, uh, out of Lebanon. Uh, then they continued to work against Hezbollah because Hezbollah just formed. He like fell into the gap that was created after the PLO was kicked out of Lebanon. Uh, not the whole organization, but the head of the organization. So they continued to fight against Hezbollah all over these years.
1: I hate to I hate to try to go into a deep dive into this because it's not it's not uh, it's it's not what we were we're here to do, but. Why was the PLO in Lebanon? I think people, especially people now that are living in the United States, maybe younger people, students, uh, when they think of the PLO and they think of the Palestinian Authority, they think of like this you know, quasi-government organization that's defending the legitimate rights or so and so forth of the Palestinian people. Uh, and there's a particular narrative of this today, but it wasn't always the case. I mean, Yasser Arafat, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he kind of had to... Uh, be a nomad and, and try to find a ba- you know, base for his operations around the world. And, and there was a time when it was a uh, proud and open uh, terrorist organization uh, against Israel. So, what, what were they doing in, in, in Lebanon?
2: So, at the beginning, um, there was about fifty thousand refugees uh, uh, that um,
0: Palestinian
2: refugees. Flood, yeah, Palestinian refugees that uh, fled, were kicked out, or whatever you choose. Um, I believe that it was like a combination of all of it, Uh, but that's what happens during war, Uh, that that were accepted in Lebanon as refugees. So so they were in refugee camps and suddenly they turned into uh, like a, from 50,000 to 100,000 to to 150,000 and then they became this huge community of 500,000 refugees in Lebanon. Uh, So they were accepted really warmly by the Lebanese society at the beginning because they were refugees. But I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, Black September, have you heard of it?
0: Yeah, but do you want to fill in our listeners just in, in one sentence about Black September?
1: It's not yeah, really sure. so, awesome name for a band. <laughs>
2: <marketing>. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a, a really pleasant subject uh, as a band. But, um, but uh, the King Hussein, the King of Jordan, uh, was really suffering from uh, uh, the, some fractions in the Palestinian refugees that were in Jordan. Because the Hashemic uh, Kingdom was only 20% of the population. So they were really in a minority. And suddenly they had this huge majority that are considered refugees in their state. Um, and what happened is that that majority uh, had uh, Yasser Arafat as its head. And Yasser Arafat created a terrorist organization that started to attack the kingdom and tried to even assassinate uh, King Hussein's life. Um, After the last attempt to assassinate his life in 1970, King Hussein decided to kick out all of the heads of, of of this terrorist organization from its country. And where did they go to? To Lebanon. So suddenly, the refugee camps became military camps by night and with funded with, with weapons, funded with a lot of money from Arab countries. This is leading to the Cairo agreement that, that I mentioned earlier, uh, where even Jordan, uh, uh, um, uh, Syria, and Egypt signed an agreement saying that Lebanon will have to you know, accept this Palestinian terrorist organization. And not only that, is that they're gonna use Lebanese territory to attack Israel. So this is really convenient for the King of Jordan to just kick out a terrorist organization out of his home, throw it to another person's home, and say that they're gonna operate from from that other person's home. Yeah. Um, not really drive
0: really that um, well with people in South Lebanon. Yeah, if you recall, Benny, by the way, the, the King Hussein at the time, his father, King Abdullah, the the first King Abdullah was assassinated at on the Temple Mount on the Temple Mount by a Palestinian terrorist um, I, I forget what year it was but it was it was well before I think the establishment of Israel even um, yeah and so they have a long history of tension with the Palestinian ter- terrorism the I'll, I'll add to what you said Jonathan the the Fatah uh, the PLO from Jordan was using it also of course they were attacking uh, Jordan and threatening um, a basically a revolution in Jordan, but they were also attacking Israel. And so Israel yeah. had to reprise against Palestinian terror attacks into Jordanian territory. It was creating a lot of tension. And of course, then they go and they set up what was called Fatah land in uh, right in Southern Lebanon. In south Lebanon, yeah. And then they were attacking Israel incessantly from Southern Lebanon, um, which is how, so how, how do we go from there to the, you talked about the formation of the South Lebanese army, by the way, I'd never actually heard of that history. So that was really uh, fascinating to hear. Um, So you have, you know, this 20 year stretch where Israel is, um, as they said, occupying or or had a military presence in South Lebanon, cooperating with the South Lebanese army until 2000 when uh, Prime Minister Barak decided that he's going to leave. He's going to pull out. Um, And so then what your family was not safe anymore because of the Hezbollah presence?
2: Yeah, so so basically what created this huge chaos in South Lebanon on the day of the withdrawal and why suddenly about 8000 Lebanese were standing on Israel's borders, because if you go to Google and you, you type South Lebanon army. I think one of the first pictures that you will have is people standing on the border with Israel on May 2000 and um, it happened because a few days before Hassan Nasrallah had a speech. Um, And in his speech, he said that the South Lebanon army and everyone who cooperated with Israel have three options to choose from. One is to flee with the enemy to their country, meaning going to Israel. The Mm -hmm. second option was uh, to surrender to the Lebanese authorities and face consequences. And everyone who did that uh, um, suffered tremendous uh, torture in, in Lebanese prison because they were... Moved to Hezbollah prison, not just you know the Lebanese government prison. Uh, the third option was to be—I don't, I don't know—I don't know how to, to use decent words, but to it's be butchered friendly. while hugging your own your own mother. It's really—it's really family. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm really sorry well, for, for so he that, you, that. He gave you—he gave you one—he
1: right gave you one option essentially. He's like you know you're exactly. no longer welcome here. This isn't your country anymore. You. You've traded against your people and you need to leave.
2: Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's my father decided to leave that day uh, and he didn't have much time. It was only 24 hours till mm-hmm. the borders were closed. And my mom decided, being uh, a, an independent woman, um, she really wanted to stay in Lebanon next door family. So that's what she decided. So we stayed, my brother and I, we stayed with her in Lebanon for another year and three months under the Hezbollah occupation to south lebanon
0: how old were you at the time
2: i was seven it was the the withdrawal from south lebanon was four days before my birthday and uh, so i kind of celebrated my birthday I, I don't even remember that birthday to be honest um from that age turning to eight i remember turning from eight to nine because it was like a few months before we fled to israel but i don't remember the seven to eight
0: can can you take us you know Seven is probably, I think my first memories, if I can recall, are probably from around like five, six, you know. Um, so seven, you're already starting to have memories, certainly by the time you're eight years old. What, what did you as a little kid notice when, you, when life switched to being under Hezbollah? What was noticeable to you as a kid? And then what kind of do your parents tell you now? that you didn't realize as a kid about life you know all of a sudden overnight now you're living under hezbollah rule
2: so we started locking out our doors we didn't used to do that anytime like never we never locked our doors Um, and that was something that was changed the atmosphere was changed like people disappeared in a second Um, suddenly like half of my classmates are not in class because they are they fled to israel um, suddenly we're not playing in the playground anymore. Like we have to stay home. So like life changed like really dramatically by one night. And on the day of the withdrawal, I, I will never forget it because everyone passed through our village because this is the only way that you can lead from our area to Israel. So we would have like lines of cars standing there, waiting there. We had many people come to my father to ask him and, and you know get his advice whether to go to Israel or surrender or stay at home. And so, so that day was, you know, like we understood that nothing is going to stay the same anymore. Um, and you and, that
0: as a, as a child?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Although they, my mom and dad didn't really talk to us about it, but you could have felt it. Like you couldn't just, you know, say, okay, well, this is normal. It wasn't normal. Like we've never experienced something like that. And suddenly, like,
0: what would happen to you if, you know, were were there, was it crime? Was it thugs in the street? I have friends who who were teenagers during the uh, Islamic Revolution in Iran, for example. So I'm trying to draw a parallel here, and they said, what once the Islamic Revolution took over and you had the Basij, you know, thugs in the streets, you would get, you know, picked on, harassed, beaten by these by these bullies if. They didn't like the way you look. Your haircut was too Western. I don't know. So what, what was it like? What would have happened if, if you would have, you know, been on the playground or, or didn't lock your door? Like, what could have happened?
2: Well, they immediately, the day, day after the withdrawal, like, like they kind of kissed on their ways, passing each, uh, passing each other, uh, Hezbollah started entering our villages. They did this huge parade in the center of the village, like walking through. To say like we are now the sheriff in town, and now we are responsible uh, for you, um, and we kind of all went to the middle because you couldn't, you know, not be there and be present and kind of welcome them happen- happily. Uh, so although people were really angry, I would hear, you know, uh, people around me cursing at them, but cursing really quietly because they were afraid that they will be caught. Uh, they would enter our homes in the middle of the night, take whatever they want even on the same date of the parade, people entered our home because they asked uh, to go to the bathroom. So my mom told them that the bathroom are downstairs. And instead of going downstairs, they went upstairs to our bedrooms and they just took whatever they want from our bedrooms. Uh, uh, they took some jewelry from, from my mom's uh, closet. They took, uh, they had kids. So they took some of my teddy bears that I really cared for at that age. Wow. And, That's unforgivable. Uh, and we can do it. You know, I, I this is like this is I, I grew up on these teddy bears. Like these are like my family, and I would always have like my bed full of teddy bears. And then I I'm like asking myself, how didn't my parents know at that age? Um but but yeah, uh, <laughs> but this is something that um you know it stays with you because later on they started entering our homes more intentionally like they had lists they came to my uncle and they wanted his car because they claimed that his car is is a car of a traitor. so now they own it they like came with really they were like the nazis with lists on names everyone that was part of the south lebanon army every home they like went one by one and only by night they would come to like business places by day. They, for example, if you had liquor at your store, they will ruin your store because of the liquor. And if you had like things that they wanted, they will just take it. If like they liked your car, they would just take your car. It's like thugs. thugs. Like uh, there's no other explanation for it. So
1: at what uh, point just... in time... Sorry, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, that's okay. Yeah.
1: At what point in time does your mom start thinking that maybe it's not the best move to stick around?
2: I think in the first few months, because at the beginning, there was maybe like a thought of my father coming back to Lebanon and the Lebanese government getting to some sort of an agreement with the Israeli government that they will not touch the South Lebanon army families. But suddenly it it, went, it started to be chaotic and my mom realized that, okay, my father shouldn't go back to Lebanon um and that's when she decided that okay we need to leave and then she started by herself kind of uh, secretly she didn't tell anyone uh in in our village or in our like from our relatives only my grandpa only her parents knew that she was planning and replying for passports uh for us to basically be able to leave Lebanon because the borders were already closed and we we, we need to join our father in Israel. And there's only one way out. And that's from the airport. And you didn't just have passports in Lebanon back at the day.
0: So the, how, how does one, what was the Israeli government at the time welcoming and even very cooperative for the families of the South Lebanese army officers? You know, were they basically like, yeah, get over here?
2: Yeah, well, it took them a few hours to open the borders because they didn't really know what is going on. Israel didn't plan this. I think this is like the the, the minus side of the story. Uh, they didn't expect it. And I think that here they were really wrong for not expecting it. Um, but after like uh, five to six hours, they opened the borders and they uh, accepted everyone who stood there no matter what. And... Um, Immediately after 24 hours, everyone was under homes, like under under a roof. Uh, the first 24 hours, they were in tents, um, but then they moved them into like uh, hotels, into like uh, resorts that we have in Israel, into kibbutz um, to make sure that they have roof under their heads, uh, above their heads.
0: Above their heads, yeah.
2: Above their heads, <laughs> and uh, yeah.
0: you, don't, you don't want a roof under your head. I mean, no. <laughs> what 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 at the time I mean y- your family maybe your village you, you said all of southern Lebanon was on good terms with Israel you were cooperating with Israel what at the time did you know of Israelis what did you think of Jews what was going in your mind or your family's mind as you're like oh we have to flee to Israel because you know the narrative that we kind of always assume uh, uh, you know it's like oh you're, you're like coming to an enemy country but this wasn't really an enemy country for you was it
2: yeah, no, I, I I didn't even know that I'm coming to Israel. My mom, as you can see, I talk a lot, so my mom didn't share any information with me uh, about us leaving Lebanon. Like till like we like second before we landed, she said we're gonna meet your father, uh, and that was like after we already left Lebanon for more than 24 hours. Um,
1: Where did but, you go to? Uh,
2: we went to Cyprus. We fled to Cyprus, uh, and then from Cyprus we had like to get visas because we entered Israel with our Lebanese passports.
0: Mm-hmm. How many
2: people can say that they entered Israel with a Lebanese passport? I can. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is super cool. And I asked actually like a fun fact. Uh, I asked my mom like a year ago, I really wanted to have a picture of an Israeli stamp on the border control. Um, with with uh, with the Lebanese passport so I asked my mom do we have this stamp on our passports and then she said well no I asked them when we came here not to stamp my passport because I thought that we're gonna go back to Lebanon and I didn't want it to like be an issue when we go back like this is how how uh, like the the how the way that she was thinking back at the time that maybe everything is gonna like go back to normal and we will be back home
1: yeah, it's, it's actually kind of a profound thing to think about that, you know, people find that they're going to be in some sort of a, a temporary situation and then they hold yeah. out hope day after day, week after week, month after month, maybe even year after year that, you know, no, I, I, it's only a matter of time before, you know, things will return to normal and, and I can reclaim, you know, whatever, whatever life I had. And then that version of life tends to become more and more romanticized as time goes by, of course. Uh, when did it become apparent to you, your father and your mother, that that no, that was it. You're you're going to be living in Israel now. That's your new home, and and uh, you know, to give up uh, any sort of short-term aspirations of, of going back to Lebanon.
2: I think uh, with us, our parents were like super strict about us being integrated to the Israeli society. So we landed in Israel, uh, my my brother and I and my mom, on the 28th of August 2001. This is basically one day before school starts in Israel. Wow! My mom sent us to school on, on the 29th of August.
0: And what languages? She's do you, like, sorry. What languages did you speak?
2: Um, back then I spoke yeah, English and, and Arabic.
0: Okay. So you That's knew it. it. Okay.
2: Yeah. I know English because my school in Lebanon was a private school in English. Got it. So I had English and I had Arabic, but I didn't have the Hebrew. So she was like, no, you're going to school. And i was like, mom, like, where, where am I? Like, what school, what are you talking about? Uh, I, like, I didn't really know where I am. I just like woke up in the morning because we landed like at, at night. Um, and then like, we kind of tried to, to, to discover where, where, um, where the hell I am. And they put us in Naharia. My father took us to like a, a resort that he was located at. It's like a small cabin, houses like with one like living room that was like the basic bunk beds uh, for me and my brother and like um like a a room for my parents and a bathroom that's it like this is the the whole cabinet and suddenly my mom like yeah like get yourself prepared tomorrow you're going to school and I was like but wait what, what like where am I like this is not Lebanon so What's the school is going to be? She was like, it's okay. It's like a Lebanese school. So they opened a special Lebanese school in Israel. The first year before I came here, the first year they studied by the Lebanese uh, curriculum. Curriculum, is this the right word?
0: Yes. You didn't know you were in Israel yet?
2: No, no, I didn't. Like I heard a strange language, but I didn't know where I am. I was like nine years and I was like waking up like to this unfamiliar (laughs) area. Yeah, the, the, my mom, she's always like laughing at it because uh, my dad was here alone. And suddenly uh, the neighbors, like Lebanese neighbors, uh, saw that there's more than one towel on, on the balcony that are drying. And then they thought that he's like cheating on his wife. <laughs> but it was, it's like the first time that they see two towels in front of the of, like the, the thing that dries the towels. And they were like, oh my God, like what is Macron doing? <laughs> That's so she's hilarious. always making fun of, yeah she's always making fun of that because they came like to check who's there
1: did the, did the government here have a plan in the, the government in israel rather did they have a plan for what to do with with, the, with the, the south lebanese refugees when they came for example did your dad was he when he was brought over he was was he given a job was he given cash like you know, did, did he get like dan and i did
2: like, You're laughing, we... but actually, uh, Israel designated uh, more than two thirds of the Lebanese community in Israel under the the Ministry of Absorption. So we were part of the Salclita. <laughs> you, you <laughs> yeah, had your I...
0: experience to Olim.
2: Yes, but I didn't have anyone to back me out from home. If like we needed some money, like we mm. were like one hundred percent alone, no assets I... that we could sold. Did, send him,
1: did did he enroll in like an Ulpan to learn Hebrew?
2: Yeah, they opened special Ulpans for them. And then uh, um, uh, the first year and a half, no one really knew what is going on. So they were still like living in these places without a job, just like with a basic salary to help them like pass the month with some food and, and, and everything, taking them to some workshops because the majority of the South Lebanon army people who came here, they were around the ages of 45 to 50, 55. So they were in the military all their lives. None of them almost finished high school. Uh, They didn't have any diplomas or any like work certificates. So they had to work in really basic uh, workplaces. Yeah,
0: they would have have entered the the army in the early eighties in the civil war, right? And then-
2: Yeah, my father was 16 when he joined the army. Wow. That's crazy.
0: So what did he he end up doing?
2: So eventually, after we came here, my mom kind of like make everything work together. Uh, We moved to Haifa like two months after we came here. Um, And then we kind of started our lives. Uh, We like rented a house. We had uh, the first year we had like a help from the government. And then we had like about 1,400 shekels a month to help us with rent. And that's it. So it's like basic for a while. Um, And we were sent to regular schools. So we didn't have the Lebanese school anymore. I went to a Jewish school. I was the only person speaking Arabic in the whole school. Uh, And I still didn't know Hebrew because I didn't really go through the same plans as the other kids go through when they came here. Uh, So that was like super intense because and I came to the school and no one speaks English because, you know, who speaks English at the age of nine in Israel. And um, that was like super intense to start learning Hebrew. So the school kind of took me as a project to help me out.
1: So in in Israel, of course, everything is more complex than, than complex can be.
2: Can
0: it be more uh, complex than Lebanon though, Benny? I mean,
1: <laughs> it obviously can, cannot be, but you can try and, and, and sort of a layer to this onion. That we can try to peel off for
2: elections. It's basically there.
1: Yeah, it's basically there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty much there. Um, you, you mentioned you're the only Jew, you're the only person in your in your Jewish school that speaks Arabic, but you're living in Haifa, which is a city that has many many Arabs. How are they viewing you and 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 the other Lebanese that have come to Israel at this time?
2: So basically, that's the reason why we went to Jewish schools because the Arabic schools refused to accept us the Arabic society in general refused to accept us. Uh, they claimed that we're traitors, that we betrayed the Arab world for collaboration with, 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 for our collaboration with Israel. You know, I'm talking about Israeli Arab citizens. Yeah. Not not just, you know, Arabs from the Arab world uh, or from the Middle East. Arab world is too, too, too general. Um, but so we had to kind of cope. Like they refused to accept us to the churches even or even to like... Uh, a community centers uh they did huge demonstrations when they heard that there was a tension to move us to some arab villages and live there because you know that's what they thought that it, it would be normal but nothing is normal in israel um so so they had like really violent demonstrations against us uh till today when they hear me because my arabic is, is lebanese arabic and uh. like uh, so it's they different. can immediately different. recognize that I'm Lebanese. It's it's like different, really different, the way that you speak and the way that you, that you pronounce words. Um, so immediately they recognize us, and some of them will like uh, not be really happy about it.
1: I I have to say that I have to say that it's it's. <laughs> You started off talking about the reasons why the South Lebanese army was, was brought into existence and what could have happened to the, to the population, uh, primarily Christians in South Lebanon, if they were to submit uh, to Hezbollah's rule without having any sort of resistance against it. And I often wonder, especially amongst Christian Arab Israelis, you know, what would they have you do? What, what would they would want you to, with your family to have done during that period? Like just accept it? I mean, I, I, it seems Except like death. I'm trying to find the nuance here and I'm trying to accept the nuance because that's what we're all about. But on the other hand, I'm not seeing that they're able to accept that nuance. It's like, it, it, what what did you you have done? Like, should you guys just have all laid down and died?
0: I, I think what you're assuming is that, you know, we want to live in, in nuance, right? And you said that's what this show is all about. But right. you're, you're assuming that people have access to all the information that we now have in this conversation or you're assuming that people have access to a perspective and keep in mind this is before cnn this is before mass social media this is before people can just talk to other people around the world um so there's a narrative right i mean there's narratives in place that shape your worldview and unless you really really go out of your way and in pre-internet times I don't you had to know go that
1: out that of your me. way. look I, I accept I accept that but but in the same sense you know I, I also think that people were living in close proximity to each other and I understand that people can say look these people were fighting together with the Israelis. they're clearly you know if they're fighting with the Israelis they're against they're against us or the narrative of the Palestinians and and therefore they're traitors to the Arab nation and so on and so forth I, get, I mean, I can understand this is
2: sometimes that. the same people that refuse to accept that the Arab world launched a general war against Israel on, on the civil like the the, the war of independence in '48. Right.
1: But in the same, but but on the same, you know, on the other side of that coin, you know, you're living in the same city together. You would say, you know, maybe before I just completely think that this person's a disgusting traitor, you know, whatever that we shouldn't deal with. Let me sit down and talk to him because at least if we're talking about, let's say, Arab-Israeli Christians, you could say these are, these are our co-religionists. You know, at least we owe them the ability to sit down and hear what was going on so that we can try to understand because it, it would seem to me like that would be, and, and I'm being very naive here, obviously, because I'm, I'm trying to say that we should give people the benefit of the doubt. But I, I, I didn't, it frustrates me that that didn't happen. I guess is that that's what I'm trying to say.
0: What what does maybe even take us a step back before that? For people who aren't aware, Israel's Arab population, okay, who are are Palestinians or descendants of the Palestinians mostly, are about what, 80% Muslim and then about, how does that break down? 80% Muslim, 10% Christian, 10% Druze, is that about the rough breakdown? We
2: have, no, 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 no. Uh, we have uh, 2% of the Israeli population in general are okay. Christians, 2%, they're almost the same numbers, are Druze, and about f- like 16 to 17% Muslims. Muslims. So, 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 so the Christian characterize- society have about like 150 to 170,000 people, and that's okay. it.
0: How would you characterize, because I'm just trying to understand this and, and, you know, Benny's question here, and I'm trying to, to figure out here, how would you characterize before the Lebanese arrive in in Israel, the the attitude, the feeling of Israeli Arabs, and then break it down, if you can, break it down by Christian Muslim Druze towards the state, towards the feeling of connection to the Palestinian cause. Uh, How would you characterize that?
2: So the majority of the Druze are part of the Israeli society because they list to the military and because of, you know, the... Their leaders at the beginning signed an agreement with Israel saying that they will be listening to the military and take action in, in protecting Israel. So we have this. Um, and then it's kind of it's kind of the same thing with the Christian and the Muslim community because they are living in mixed cities. Uh, you have Druze that have like a majority of a Druze village. But when it comes to Christians in Israel, the Christians in Israel have accepted 100% The idea of them being Arabs and the idea of them being part of the Palestinian cause, which in my opinion is 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 false, Um, because, you know, eventually the Christians are here way before the the Arab occupation to the Middle East, and they were here way before we were forced to speak Arabic because of the Arabic occupation and and accepting the Arabic culture, so this is something that when we go through history to check our ancestors and to check what is our backgrounds, we are not part, not part of the Palestinians and not part of the Arab world. That nothing that I have against the Arab world, or the Palestinians. So how would We're you? We're not part of it.
0: How would you characterize yourself uh, as, as a Christian in this part in the Levant? How would you characterize yourself then if you're not
2: not Arab? So coming from Lebanon it's Phoenician this is something that uh, many Lebanese today uh Christians mainly consider themselves part of the Phoenicians uh, and basically when you look at it um the the Lebanese Arabic it's its own language uh it's like about 55 percent Aramaic so it's like it acts as a as a as a as an as a complete language and not as a just you know accent of a language
0: interesting you know one, one thing i've i've come to realize over the last year and 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 i you know i studied the middle east i researched the middle east but the more i've i've gotten you know this past year brought me back to actually get to know arabs from across the whole region starting in the uae but there's arabs from all over the entire middle east living in the uae and then you know talking you know um to to Israeli Arabs for the first time and getting to know Egyptians and Syrians. And you you get to to understand something that may be very obvious to you and and to people in the rest of the region. Saudis, by the way, I got to know Saudis this this past year. We here in Israel and in the West, everyone says Arab. But the sub-identities and the sub-ethnicities, that are taking place across the region are so unbelievably diverse that you know you realize that you uncover the top layer and it's so much more unbelievably rich and complex and not always pretty you know but but oh, yeah, no, way more complicated than just saying Muslim Arab or Christian Arab or or Druze or you know you know and so what you're saying now is fascinating so you're saying among you your village, uh, a lot of people in Lebanon, the identity is not even really Arab. You're saying it's it's Phoenician or it's uh, Syrian, or I don't, I don't know. I've I've heard people describe themselves as a Syrian, right? Assyrian, in-
2: yeah. In, in Iraq and Turkey, there's huge Assyrian community. Um, so this is just that are now evolving. So and
0: in as well. yeah. I mean, I, I remember talking to, to friends in the UAE, and they're talking about the pre. Arab or the pre-Islamic identities that are kind of and they're starting uh, I'd love to get your sense on this that there's a sense that maybe the media does not pick this up at all or certainly the English language oh, thing it's is. too complex for it's it
2: too, too much complex, complex. exactly exactly yeah. all these identities the Westerners
1: want you know very com- concise uh, packaged ideas of what their identity you know are. it's
2: always funny the Benny you just like I always um I don't understand uh, Westerners that are really for this like whole thing of identities and, and being aware of your identity and everyone has his unique identity. And then suddenly when a person who speaks Arabic tell them that they're, that they're not Arab, they will start like saying, oh, you're being like not accepting of your own identity but it's not part of my identity. So why are you forcing it on me? This is like right. something that I really find funny throughout the years that I've been traveling in the States and Europe.
1: I think I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but you know, maybe maybe it in, in part it, it's you know, say this to be very simplistic, but like it, it kind of breaks their brain, right? It it, it yeah. changes the mold of what they think the identity should be. And in, in in this country, in the United States where I am right now, you know, to say that one is an Arab and you know, they speak Arabic, okay. That that's that's where that identity box is. It yeah, doesn't right. go beyond that. It's not I know, And then you start getting into it. It's, oh, there's Arab Christians and Arab Muslims and there's Sunni and Shia. And it's like, whoa, 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 that's too much. That doesn't fit into the... That,
0: that's not even the layer. That's just like the first layer of the... Right,
1: that's that's just the... First. And that doesn't fit into the American box where people want to have their one word identifier, you know, white, black, Asian, you know, which is always great to me, like Asian. Uh, you know, uh, Asian could be you're a, uh, you know, Japanese or you're a we're Filipino Asian. or we're us. We're, we're all Asian, right? Like we're, we live we live in Asia, uh right middle east but that, and then it's uh, so i don't know it's 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 i think it goes against the mold in many ways and i think that um you know amongst to give a little bit of credit where credit's due there are generally people genuinely people rather that are very interested to learn and to hear and to try to understand uh, unfortunately those people aren't always the loudest and in, in setting the cultural uh tone or, or 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 leading the public discussion and discourse but, but
0: I believe they're the majority,
1: um, the silent majority.
0: Yeah, yeah. I the
1: silent, the, the silent majority. When when I'm optimistic, I'll say that the, the the silent majority. When when I'm being pessimistic, I'll say that the majority, you know, the silent majority, is just a bunch of uh, people that are very disinterested, and and for them this this whole you know turns them off
0: to have to have these conversations. But I want to I want to get back to this this Christian Muslim thing in Israel, um, kind of from a bird's eye view. So I mean, you talked about how the, the Christians were here pre-Arab, pre-Islam, right? Then why or how or why did they become so wrapped up in the, in the Palestinian identity, the Palestinian cause, which meant not part of the Israeli story? I don't know if you if you can get into that or, or explain to us that dynamic.
2: So living in the STEM areas, and because of being such a small minority, like, especially in in, like, cities like, uh, you know, around us here in the Galilee, um, they kind of had to lower their heads and, and you know, accept whatever the, the Arabs told them to, to accept. They were afraid for their lives. They were afraid for their jobs. They were afraid, you know, to, to, to be mm-hmm. executed or to be uh, um, Persecuted. forced, yeah. Because of, of, of their political views. So they kind of many years stayed like underlines, like they didn't want to talk about it at all. They didn't want to take any action. Um, But in the last few years, you you see that there's huge major Christians in Israel that are being even more advocates than the biggest terrorists that we have here in the area. Um,
0: Against Israel, you mean?
2: Against Israel, uh, against Israel for the Palestinian cause, for the destruction of Israel in general, even part of, the, of, the, of Israel's parliament, where, where we had uh, Basil Ghatas, for example, a few years ago, he's a Christian member of parliament who uh, entered uh, uh, cell phones to terrorists sitting in jail, abusing his uh, parliamentary, yeah, he, he sat in, in prison. His uncle, um, he's in exile now because he, f- he fled Israel for helping Hezbollah in 2006, also a Christian,
0: Azmi bishara, so, right?
2: Asmi, yeah. So this is something that, that you know, looking at it, it's like they're trying uh, to say, no, we are with you no matter what. So, like, keep us safe. So this is something that, that I always keep in mind um, when, when talking about it. But, for example, if I want to show you the other side of it, uh, in 2014, part of, of me being in the, in the Israeli Christian recruitment form uh, with the Christian Empowerment Council, um, Father Gabriel Nadaf, that was the head of the organization, uh, he's a Greek Orthodox, Orthodox priest who advocated for Christians in Israel to integrate and be part of the military and national service. Um, he was successfully able to, um, uh, to add to the nationalities in Israel because up to that date, you had a uh, Christian Arab as a nationality in your Israeli ID. But from that date in September, 2014, the Ministry of Interior accepted the nationality uh, Aramaic Aramaic. to be added Uh. to the Israeli nationalities. And now Christians after proving it in court and and with with documents from the priest, you can go and change your identity back to what it used to be before. you were forced to labor yourself under uh, the title Arab.
0: How how many of the roughly 150, 160,000 Christians, Arab Christians in Israel, how many of them chose to accept this Aramaic identity?
2: So I know of many who, for example, when we did our our, uh, like yearly annual meetings, we would have like thousands of people coming and joining in from the Christian community in Israel. Uh, But going and doing it physically, I think like a couple thousands. thousands, um, because they, they don't this is a huge bureaucracy that a person he needs like, to pay a tuition and then like go and and like follow up with a lawyer. You like you have to have a lawyer in order to do it. So a lot of people chose, you know, whatever. Let it stay this way in the document. But this is how we're going to identify ourselves in public.
0: And how does this population you, you said there's a forum um, started by Gabriel and Duff. You were a spokesperson. How does that the people in that form relate to the state of Israel relate to the concept of israeliness versus the Palestinian cause? where do you fit in on that whole nother can of
2: worms so this is kind of one hundred percent Israeli because they do enlist to the military uh they do national service out of uh out of you know, realizing that this is their country and they need to contribute to, this, to the society that they live in and they need to give a hand not only to their own small communities but to the general community. And this is something that we, can, we, we saw in numbers actually in the first year of activity of how many people listed to the military and we saw the, the change that it made in the, the general idea in the Arabic population because we ignited a huge conversation that was never debated before in Arabic media in the Arabic street or even in the mainstream Israeli media suddenly there's like this uh, they always called the, us like Nezilim like they they swim against the against uh, the stream exactly and against uh, the current. and they always they called us this way but but you mentioned the, like the silent majority Benny and I think that this is something that, once we, we noticed the numbers and the change of ideas and the change of, of, of actions in the streets, uh, you could have seen that numbers actually do speak out. So we have about third of whoever finishes high school from the Christian society that joins the military and national service. This is huge number talking about. That, that is, uh,
0: how many people is that every year?
2: So it's about 3,000 people. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, like I have like really old data from like 2017, 18, uh, when we had about 150 listing each year to the military, we had about 500 to 600 listing to the national service. Um, So this This is is actually very impressive.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, we've talked about this often on the show in different episodes, but you know, there's, there's also the perception of how, how, you know, Jewish society in Israel tends to, in, in 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 especially in the past four election cycles, has become very divisive. Very, uh, in many cases, you know, racism has been has been there uh, at every step of the way in in, in different facets. Uh, how, is, how do you or how does the Lebanese community in Israel how how are you perceived? How do you feel you're perceived by uh, average Israelis? and And is there, you know, is there racism against the community?
2: So when we say Tzadal, every Israeli will be like, oh, my God, we love you. Like, what happened is really terrible. We're sorry that the Israeli government didn't do enough to help you out. Um, but before they know that you're Tzadal, that you're part of the South Lebanon army, um, as any other, you know, place, there is racism. I, I, I know some friends that faced racism um, against them because they spoke Arabic, whether it was like in public or... know in other places um uh, i don't know if we had any any case of refusing to rent for a person who was part of the south lebanon army uh but i do know of people who faced racism uh but not like um not like systematic racism from the government itself this is something that like we need to make clear like from
0: you you feel it? feel it in your daily life
2: I didn't really feel it because, as, as I said, I grew up between, like, in Jewish schools. I was the only Arab kid that was really hugged by the school and by my classmates. Um, I and don't forget, we came here during the second Intifada. That you know, that was like really intense uh, in Israel throughout, you know, two thousand and one, two thousand and two, two thousand and three. That was really for us. It was like, yeah, we're still in Lebanon. Um, can you hear me
0: yeah Yeah. something changed so for us for me it
2: was like i'm still in lebanon uh you know exploding buses it's like yeah it's the same thing (laughs) great time to be i guess
1: i'm glad that it was an easier integration (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, in a way. <laughs> I, I, Dan. If it's okay with you, I kind of want to, and maybe you want to get get off another one, but I, I kind of want to change gears into what into what your your involvement is today with, with advocacy, with your involvement is today with uh, commentary and and kind of what what you're doing in, in all of those many jobs that you're doing. Um, but but maybe a good way to lead into this is just you know you, you travel quite a bit around the world. We were talking before that you've you've been here in Minneapolis. Uh, and when people here in the United States would see you, you know, they, they, see somebody who, who's clearly, you know, uh, coming from the middle East and, and you're probably lumped into this, you know, group of, you know, as we were talking about before the one word identifiers, you know, other Arabs from the middle East. Uh, and then you start talking about, you know, living in Israel and life in Israel. And, and, and probably that's a very different narrative that they're going to hear from you. than they would hear from what they might expect to hear from other Arabs when they're talking about the Jewish state, uh, and life in Israel. And, and I'm just curious how that is for you. When, when you're abroad uh, and, and speaking to groups of people and, and maybe even meeting you know Arabs uh, or, or, or different people from the Middle East abroad? And, and what's the perception like and how is it like for you?
2: Um, well, I, I always, I, the reason that I wanted to do that uh, and I created the Minorities Project is because I wanted it to be like in a way in two levels. One that is educational, Both for anti-Israelis and both for pro-Israelis that don't really know about Israeli minorities, we're 25% of the Israeli population, and it's about time that you know for the anti-Israelis to stop using us to to attack Israel because what you're saying about us is wrong, and for the pro-Israelis to give them some more information that they could use on their daily day basis fighting anti-Semitism and anti-Israel Israelism. Uh, uh, around you know campuses and 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 their own communities. So when we came to campuses, um, it's always we have haters that will always look at us as people who betrayed the Arab world. Even you know, uh, even though they're not part of the Palestinians or they're not even Arabs, but they will tell us that we're traitors. Um, or we will have Arabs that they will not only refuse to listen to what we have to say, but they will do everything in their power to interrupt our events and try to shut us down and and make us be afraid to speak our minds. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that I like, especially with these kind of people, because I kind of take off the rug from under their feet and kind of make their life shake a little bit that, okay, what you heard up to now is not true and listen to me, tell you a different type of story. And maybe that will make you ask more questions about what you already know about Israel or think that you know about Israel. So this is something that was really important for me uh, during my period in, in, in flying and, and bringing delegations abroad um, is basically to have as many representatives from Israeli minorities. So I always made sure to have a Druze, a Muslim, a Bedouin, uh, uh, and a Christian on the delegation. And of course, I have my personal story as a, as a Lebanese Christian who is now Israeli. Um, so in that layers. way, we could give as many, hmm?
0: Layers on top of layers.
2: Exactly, and that's what I wanted to show. I wanted to show that that Israel is Israeli case is not easy. It's complex, and it's about time that you stop make it so artificial. Uh, uh, certif-
0: artificial, superficial. Superficial.
2: Superficial, superficial. It, it's about time that you stop making making Israel's story superficial and just put it good against bad, bad against good. Um, and I wanted to show that complexity. I really love exactly that complexity that we have in Israel because that's what make us a beautiful country and a beautiful surroundings that we have so many different layers and backgrounds and, and ethnicities. Um, how, how so- you,
0: How do you deal with this? When, i think it's super important what you're doing and of course you know you're, you're you're going around and you're standing up to the the delegitimizers with your story at the end of the day though there are issues facing israeli arabs there is discrimination there are you know there's there is some legal discrimination there's a lot more unofficial you know people-to-people discrimination um you know it's not not everything is rosy and, and we don't all you know kumbaya and get along all day not even within jewish society do we we all get along with each other. So, how do you balance what I'm sure are your frustrations from time to time with what you're trying to do? And and both of these are both of these are true. I mean, they can they can both be true at the same time. And often, you know, like you said, people are very superficial. They don't like to hear um, you know something that goes against their narrative. But but both narratives exist at the same time. So, how do you balance that? Um, in your personal life? And how do you balance that when you're on these things, when people do engage with you in, in, in these conversations?
2: So on a personal level, I think, and this is a good example to show on how, why this is like so different. Uh, for example, the Lebanese government, the Lebanese society, the South Lebanon army communities in Israel are still facing some trouble with the Israeli government, with some promises that they haven't like given us after 21 years that after after 21 years, only four days ago, we had our own uh, memorial site, although we were promised one that will be done 13 years ago. Uh, and every year we had to fight and be vocal about it till they eventually decided, okay, they are too vocal, we're gonna do it. Um, so That's how you so we right. have... <laughs> exactly, and we're a small community, so it's really hard. But thank God that the the Israeli society is really on our side on this. Um, uh, But for example, so so we have our issues with the Israeli government and our criticism towards the Israeli government and whatever they do. But on the other hand, we accept Israel as a Jewish democratic state. And we understand that without Israel, we wouldn't be alive today. And without Israel, not only our, our parents wouldn't be alive, but us, we wouldn't be alive today. Because they accepted us and, and gave us shelter in Israel. So we're working on these two levels that are like in a parallel like lines that, you know, we have this and we have that. And when we talk about Israel abroad, um, so that's for example, why I always make uh, differences between pro-Palestinians and anti-Israelis. Mm, yeah. Anti-Israelis are are people who will never agree to, to accept that there is a Jewish and democratic state. So everything that they will do, they will always show only the bad side, no matter what. And they will many times even invent some stories that were never here. Like One example is that I was talking with a, with a student in, in um, U of H, in, in uh, University of, 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 uh, of Houston, uh, U of H, yeah. The University of Houston, uh, in Houston and um we were talking she was saying that she was in bed, in, uh, in Ramallah and she was going out of the metro in Ramallah
0: there's no metro uh,
2: and she was exactly and she was faced with an IDF soldier <laughs> that that put the 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 K46 K- in her face and the IDF doesn't have K46 as well you no know, not get me on that but it was a weapon that the IDF yeah. never uses uh in the in the what last that, like yeah. couple yeah. of 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 years and this is something that was like wait a metro in like ramallah like what are you talking th- like, like
0: you can um, like- also the idea of isn't in ramallah We don't <laughs> use ak-47s there's no metro yeah <laughs> where, where you so
2: this a, exactly so so f- so so here where we caught like their lies in these small issues but a person that was never in ramallah or was never here to understand this would, would really agree with her and she's 100 anti-israeli And the pro-Palestinians, this is why it's different because they are for human rights and they understand that the Palestinian leadership is responsible for the Palestinian people. And they understand that if the Palestinian leadership and Hamas terrorist organization will continue to use their own civilians as human shields, people are getting to be heard. And this is something that we agree on because we say, okay, we have our problems, you have your problems, let's fix them together. With anti-Israelis, you just can't talk. Yeah,
0: there's, there's and no that's
2: way. how we make this, I make this difference um, with people and, and the way that I talk to. Um, on you, the, consider so far,
0: yourself, you consider yourself pro-Palestinian in that regard that you, you know, do you want to see a two-state solution? What, what's your personal vision uh, on this issue?
2: It's hard for me to be 100% pro-Palestinian. Not because I'm Israeli advocate, not because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Israeli in general, but because the Palestinians has caused us a lot of blood uh, in our villages, in Lebanon. Um, the whole situation of, of Lebanon today is, in a way, um, because of the Palestinians in Lebanon. Um, and this is something that it will always be hard for me to accept. Uh, but I do accept that they deserve a decent life and that they only want to live. And that's our agreement is on is that, you know, it's about time that we stop this fight and this war. I don't know if it's going to be a one state solution, two state solution, three state solution, or federation or whatever. I just know that this situation can't continue. Um, I think that there's more. Um, uh, people that are aware of the situation that can get it solved way better. Uh, but I know today that it's difficult because the Palestinians are divided. You have the Hamas terrorist organization. You have the PLO uh, with, uh, with um, Mahmoud Abbas that basically he doesn't have any legitimacy because he didn't right. run for elections in the last 16 years. So this is really difficult. So what, what are we supposed to do in that situation as, as a state?
0: That's, you know, you brought up an interesting point that I didn't even consider. And that's, you know, people around the world, you know, look at the Palestinians as the victims, the refugees, the underdogs, the losers of the war. You know, even I can look at it here and and, and look at it sympathetically and, and say, yeah, they lost the war. They're, you know, they're refugees. OK, they they were the underdogs. But it's really interesting because you come at it from a perspective of being a a, a Christian from southern Lebanon who was persecuted by the Palestinians when they basically took over Southern Lebanon. And that's like a perspective of a perspective of a perspective that no one ever, I, I've certainly never even thought about. I don't think ever um, people ever micro read.
1: perspective,
0: you know, pe- we people We promised
2: talk- complexity at the beginning. We did. Yeah.
0: We love <laughs> people always talk about, um, you know, saying um, the Jews were always, uh, you know, persecuting the victims and now, you know, now they're, the ones persecuted the pa- the palestinians but here we have a situation where it was like okay the palestinians were persecuted and then they went and then persecuted someone else and it's it's just it's you know i'm not even trying to get into rights and wrongs here i'm just you know just to understand how complex and how things can turn and how you can be um two things can be true at once and in- yeah
2: this is history we have to acknowledge it
0: that i find that just fascinating if you're looking do you do you read uh arab world media do you still follow lebanese media social media
2: oh yeah of course my mom if if, if i will go now to the living room my mom will have the lbc or mtv on like the lebanese uh, news uh, outlets in lebanon um uh, she's so she's always like uh we're always like watching tv series like lebanese series on Lebanese news even like my mom gets the weather from Lebanon. <laughs> so she knows what if it's gonna rain in Saida more than if it's gonna rain in Tirata Kalame. Right.
0: Mom, what's the weather tonight? I don't know. I can tell you the weather in Beirut, not here though. Yeah, not here. Yeah.
2: So um, she 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 already like learned how to to adjust it to our weather yeah. looking at South Lebanon. Basically it's like pretty really close to, to what's gonna be here because it's almost the same typographic uh, area with the sea and Lebanon doesn't have a desert, but the north no. of Israel is really similar to Lebanon. Very similar.
0: I and mean, I guess I have two questions here. One is, is when you're looking around the landscape, the media, the social media, are, and, and everything that's happening now with Abraham Accords the, the last year, are you starting to get a different sense of how this generation, of how the, world, the Arab world is starting to view Israel? Are things changing or is this just a story that we're telling ourselves here?
2: Oh, I do believe that things are changing. Um, and uh, thank you for the plug-in. I just wrote an article about it for Moshe Dayan Center uh, about the change of of uh, of opinion towards Israel in in Lebanon uh, in the last few years. Uh, so you can see politicians, you can see like reporters that have never like dared to say normalization with Israel in the same sentence without adding occupied territory of Palestine um, that was something that is really fresh on, on Lebanese TV in the last few years we've heard it before we've heard it in the 80s when Israel was present there because they were supporting of Israel but then after a few years and after persecution they stopped doing that uh, and now we suddenly see that back on on the news are, uh, are you su-
1: are you suggesting you that be- that the Abraham the Abraham Accords are are, are having the uh, Ancillary effect of having uh, making making Lebanese people think, you know, what could be here? Uh, you know, we could also enjoy a similar relationship to Israel that the that the Arab Gulf is enjoying with Israel, and maybe that could bring us benefits uh, that 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 would make life more stable.
2: Taking into consideration Sorry. the situation now in Lebanon, right? I do believe that Lebanese are thinking the same way. Because war only brings destruction and more money to be wasted on instead of be wasted on on helping civilians. And today, people in Lebanon are starving. People in Lebanon don't have fuel to drive to their work. The the average salary is $42. Uh, So it's about like $1.25 for a day while a a Big Mac is $1.50. So... They don't they can't even afford to buy something.
1: They should just get paid um, in Big Macs. That's a good idea.
2: <laughs> I don't you... know if, if a family could, could bring some food. Like it's, if it's a one Big Mac is enough for like family of four. Um uh, it's not enough for me. I don't know. Enough enough I could eat like two Big Macs at the same time. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> like well, a th- bite from this and then a bite
0: from- I mean our our defense secretary, our defense minister Benny Gantz publicly offered aid and assistance to Lebanon. How is that perceived in Lebanese public opinion? Does it even register? Do people even pick up on it?
2: So, yeah, it's it's reminded them on what happened last August uh, when the explosion in Beirut port happened, because then Israel offered aid as well. And many of the Lebanese really saw that as a really nice gesture. So on that matter, um, and that's kind of way of, of my conclusion to the article that I wrote on the subject is that it's gonna be a bottom up decision, if the Lebanese people will will say to their government, listen, this is what you need to do in order to help us, and in order to be able to stand on your feet again, this is what you're gonna do, and you're gonna make peace with Israel because this is gonna help us out. Uh, so it's it's that it's not gonna be in, in in like like the UAE that was make a decision by the the leadership and then it kind of went down to the people and then we started kind of well, right sharing. and then
1: the, and then not to not to you know take the stage of what but but then you have like the factor of Hezbollah which the UAE doesn't have. The UAE can decide like you just said that the leader can decide that they want to have peace with Israel and now there's peace with the Israelis and, and you know that's the way it is in Lebanon, even if the government were to decide, or even if the people from the bottom up were to decide with overwhelming support that this is what they want, you would still have to contend with Nasrallah and with the Iranians. And uh, they, 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 I, I would I would guess that they wouldn't let that go down very very easily without a fight. That might even oh, yeah. be an impetus for, 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 you know, renewed skirmishes of, of, of the, the civil war.
2: Oh yeah, this is what our people are concerned on what is going on in Lebanon. Because the shortage the shortage of, of supplies, people are fighting in the streets to just get like one gallon of gas or or just you know rice to their house. And they're really afraid of, of becoming a huge civil war again. Um, and uh, Hezbollah is a really huge factor, not because it's a terrorist organization that is controlling a country, but because he has become part of the country. I'm not saying that all of Lebanon now is a terrorist state. It's not, um, but, but the Hezbollah is part of the government, uh, so every government government that is going to be formed, they have to rely on Hezbollah. It's like they have like the major lead uh, on who's to become like prime minister and who's to to form this government. And we we can see in the last few years even uh, a, a, a small fraction of of Lebanese demonstrating against Hezbollah all the time, saying that. Hezbollah is not really Lebanese. They don't represent Lebanese interests. Uh, they are an occupiers. Uh, they are like Iranian occupation that is happening in Lebanon. So people are starting to understand that now. And we're starting to see a few pop-ups of, of small demonstrations all over social media and even in the streets of Lebanon. Wow. Um, I really hope that it will continue. I really hope that Hassan Nasrallah will understand that he has nothing to look for in Lebanon. Lebanon is not his country, uh, and uh, it's about Did time we... to free Lebanon and make it be we... independent.
0: Does Does Hezbollah have any popular support among the people, including among the Shia? Uh, you know, their whole narrative, their whole founding was that they were the defenders of Lebanon, or at least the defenders of the Shia. And then you had, you know, um, they dragged Lebanon into the 2006 war, where where it did not end well for most of, uh, you know, parts of Beirut and most of southern Lebanon. And we've actually had quiet for the past 15 years on that border. Then you had a situation in which Hezbollah was killing Muslim Arabs in Syria during the civil war. I know they lost a lot of uh, support in the Arab world over that. They had even a split with Hamas over that. Um, But today, is Hezbollah have any kind of public support among any parts of the Lebanese public?
2: Oh, of course. They still do have uh, support from the reason that they're not only a terrorist organization, but they do have a humanitarian side of it. So, for example, they started the way that, Kiz- that Hamas is, for the Gazans people today. They have like uh, schools, they have uh, uh, um, building infrastructures, Making sure that, you know, bringing supplies to people's houses. So they are acting on these two faces to make sure that they continue to have people's support. And on the other hand, they can do whatever they want towards Israel and, and use Lebanon as they, as they want. Um, but now people are starting to, um, when saying people, it's really generalizing because Lebanon is still uh, split into, into fractions, uh, religious sides. And so the Christians, the majority of them, depending if they're Maronites or Greek Orthodox or Catholics. uh, So some of them will do speak with with Hezbollah just to make sure that their community is out of the picture if something bad is happening and Hezbollah will launch a war inside of Lebanon. So they're still working on these like levels. Um, But the only, I don't know, to be honest, I don't really know if there is a way to have hezbollah 100 percent out of lebanon uh, or maybe just disputing the military side of it and keeping you know the the regular um like party as a as a representative that doesn't have weapons and doesn't control lebanon
0: or or is absorbed by the army at, at some point or reabsorbed into the army at some point because i mean hezbollah yeah. is part of the state they're in the parliament you know, he, the, I think Hezbollah, the military wing of it, is bigger than the Lebanese army, or at least more oh, yeah. than the Lebanese army. Uh,
2: yeah, it's a terrorist organization that has a state, not a state yeah. that has a terrorist organization.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, to to, to disband them, uh, would, you know, to disband the, the hundred and fifty thousand rockets and uh, and the military apparatus is, is something that might be beyond certainly Lebanon's capabilities. But uh, I want to I want to take this back in back into uh, into Israel. Um, We just had an election and um, we always just have an election. Uh, um, Something historic uh, and fascinating happened in this election and that's for the first uh, time. It's actually not the first time we learned in the last podcast, but it's basically the first time an Israeli Arab political party uh, joined and backed the governing coalition. Um, What and, and, and it's not just any party. It's it's the conservative Islamist party. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the, the involvement of an Israeli Arab party in a government and specifically this party?
2: So I'm really split in, in, in this matter because I really don't like uh, Mansour Abbas or his political party because of their extremism. But on the other hand, I have to say kudos on, on, the, on, on being in a way um, um, like pragmatic and understanding that this is what he needs to do for the Arabic community in Israel. Because he read the Arabic society in a way, in a right way. Because the Arabic society is sick of standing aside and never being part of the political game. They go vote, some of them you know, boycott the elections but when they go vote, they want their representative to actually be supportive of something and mm-hmm. make a change and bring them some successful things to their own societies. The Arabic community in Israel is suffering from huge violence uh, for the last few years in the Arabic street. The education in the Arab villages is way like, worse than, than the, the most of the education in Israel. Uh, same thing on occupations. Um, occupation is not uh, no, the bad occupation. Not that occupation. <laughs> the, the other like job, he said the occupation. job. <laughs> oh, now I'm dead in the in the...
0: <laughs> You're Still welcome here. It's okay.
2: In the pro-Israeli. Uh, um...
0: Just hold
1: up that mug again, and then, then you'll be redeemed.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The <laughs> occupation of. <laughs> So, so this is something that they, this is what they, can, they are concerned about, and not what goes on in, in uh, Judea and Samaria, or what goes on in Gaza. And I think they, they, this time they voted because they knew that there is something different. Mansour Abbas even said that it was wrong to vote against the peace agreement with the UAE and Bahrain. The Arab political parties voted against, 14 votes against the, the peace agreements with Arab countries. Yeah. And this is something that like made us all crazy here because this is your opportunity to make connections, to mm-hmm. bring here jobs to the Arab street, to, bring, to be the bridge Absolutely. of this peace agreement. You speak yeah. Arabic, they speak Arabic, you, you speak Hebrew as well. So you can use that for business and, and successful uh, 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 and prosperity. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of people were sick of that and they really wanted uh, something new, something fresh. So they said, let's, let's go with Mansour Abbas. And he decided to go with what his voters sent him to do. Uh, I still don't really know uh, what to think about it in a political way and, and the way that I, I think of Israel uh, and Israeli politics in general. But I do believe that if this will be successful, it will help us change for better the situation between Jews and Arabs in Israel, because we are having a huge gap.
1: Right, but, uh, there is a lot
2: of but, mistrust but, between these communities.
1: And, and I think that up until now we've had to talk about it in the abstract, in terms of you know ha- the impact of having that sort of a coalition exist in Israel for the uh, realistically, let's, let's let's you know call it like it really is, you know, the first time uh, that that's ever really mattered. Uh, but he's going to have to you know put them put his put his. Uh, 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 put his money where his mouth is. He's going to have to actually in, impact policy decisions that will be perceived as uh, a, you know, an improvement for his voters. Uh, and the question is yet to be seen, is he able to actually do that? Uh, and, and I'm an optimist. I'd like to see that it's, that, that, he's, that he's able to do it. Um, and, and, and maybe I'm just not well read into what's been going on until now. Um, but there's a lot of areas, like you said before, that have very, very serious, deep problems. That you know, it's it's almost just like you know, pick one. Let's just start. You know, you got to start start somewhere. And I don't know where he would choose to start, uh, but I hope for everybody's sake that he'll choose one that that uh, you know is not only necessary but also is very uh, well. Um, let, let's just say that you can see that people can see, uh, and 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 that will be a, a good place to start. You, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, you know, some of your personal issues with. Some of their, I don't know what the word that you you said was, but it was almost like extremist uh, views. Maybe you can kind of share what what do you mean by that?
2: So, for example, um, um, the Islamic Party that that Mansour Abbas is the head of, um, they are they're more conservative, like in a really extreme way. So, for example. Um, they, Mansour Abbas himself launched a campaign against the, the LGBTQ community in Israel. He said that uh, we don't have gay people in the Arab community as if like the Arab community is unique <laughs> in the entire world. Yeah, it's, it um, reminds
1: me of like when, when uh, Mahmoud <laughs> yeah. Ahmadinejad in Iran said there are no gays in Iran ever. No, none, yeah, none. Executed them one.
2: <laughs> because yeah. they forced them to go through operations yeah. to change their, their sex. Um, and this is something that that we, we launched a war back against him as well. Um, for the last few years, he's been supportive of, of few terrorist uh, uh, people, went and visited them and celebrating their release from prison. Um, so this is a lot of problems and issues that we have. It's like a really big, huge pill that we have to swallow when Mansour mm-hmm. Abbasin is in this government. And, um, Do you
1: think that maybe he can be impacted by his participation now in the government, that that in order to remain relevant, uh, he'll have to moderate some of those views.
2: So, so this is something that is really new to the Israeli government. Um, is that he decided to to say that he will never support any LGBTQ plus uh, uh, laws as part of the government, but he will not prevent the government plus. from from talking about it.
0: What's mm-hmm. the plus? you said plus?
2: Oh, there's there's many other letters in, in, that I can forget. so instead of <laughs> saying all the letters, you just say the word plus. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like um, come on Dan. 15, fifteen letters. I,
0: it took me so long to learn the, the, like all those letters. now you're telling me there's more. If, there's if, more. Our listeners, the if our listeners didn't pick up on this and and we're not saying this uh, you know, um, you're part of this the LGBTQ plus community
2: yeah.
0: and that's a whole you know if your your identity <laughs> wasn't complex enough being a lebanese christian israeli arab um you know who, who supports the the state and and you know is, is part of all this then we have to add another layer of complexity to your identity right
2: yeah as, as i told you before god uh, um <laughs> like tr- trembled while he was like adding some of the, the like unique things to to my blend <laughs> and he accidentally like threw the whole bag in (laughs)
0: Uh, obviously you're open about this or you wouldn't be saying it on the on the podcast how is how does that fit into your life Uh, i i mean israeli society in general is pretty open but i'd be glad to hear your view on it um but being a part of arab society in israel how does that work how does that fit into your life how do you how open can you be about your life
2: Oh, it's, it's super uh, strict. So for example, it depends where you are. In the villages, you almost can't talk about it. There, there are some people that are like gay people in the villages that are they, they're out of the closet or they go visit their families. Uh, but this is something that is not like typical uh, and will not always be accepted and welcomed. Uh, so may, for example, I know many people who were um, asked to leave their village and never come back because they're gay by their family and by their their neighbors Uh, because this is like a black mark on the family and no one will keep talking to that family if they have this like black mark so whether they will try to hide it or they will try to act violently against it where we heard stories before in the last even few years in the arabic street because of that um and coming from a a kind of a conservative, uh, like really con- small conservative uh, family, um, it's 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 not easy, um, sort of sp- like really not easy. It wasn't at the beginning, uh, but we're we're getting over it uh, throughout the years.
0: And you're still in, in good contact with your
2: family? Oh, yeah. I, I live with my parents. I just came back to my parents after COVID because I can't afford disclosing my apartment anymore.
1: Undis- you're disclosing your undisclosed location.
2: Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, oh my God.
1: <laughs> His I'm burn out burn. of the I'm That's officially it. out of the
2: closet.
1: you're you're out of the closet <laughs> but into <laughs> some of sort closet. of a cave. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's interesting. I was listening yesterday to a podcast. Uh, Joe Rogan had done Tim Dylan and Tim Dylan is an amazing and amazing com- comedian political commentator and 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 also uh, is also gay. Uh, and, and he was kind of saying in the, in, in the American context at, at the very least. You know with with being gay or lgbt being being so normal normatized normalized normatized, whatever the word is here in the united states at this normalize. stage from normalized, yeah. normalize
0: normative, normative.
1: Yeah. basically you know that gay marriage has been legal in the united states i think since 2000 <clears throat> what 2008 2009 yeah, with,
2: obama. Like that, with
1: obama you know now it's 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 even like okay you people who say that you know, younger people, let's call them Generation Z will look at people that are our generation's age that had to come out of the closet and they'll talk about how that it was a struggle and they'll be like, So so what? Like I don't understand. Like you, you had a hard time telling your parents you're gay? Like tell tell your parents that you're like, you know, a non binary trans going through some sort of a transition to be uh, you know, from a man to a woman and then you 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 know, you're having an issue trying to uh to find a job that way. It's like, yeah, I guess you know, things are going in a, in, in a certain direction where that's not, you know, it's, it's no longer turning any, any heads here. Obviously, that's a different scenario uh, in Israel and, and throughout throughout the Middle East. But I think that, you know, if, if, if you know, the time is a projection that's going to continue going the way that it's going right now, um, you know, it will become probably much more, more simple uh, in most cases because, uh, you know, generations move on. Uh, yeah. and, and people that harbor certain opinions... You know, the way the, the way of the world is that they pass on from the world. Um,
0: is, is it is are, are there any places you're aware of in I mean, again, we say Israel. Israel is a lot of different societies and Tel Aviv is, is probably the most gay friendly place in the world. I don't know. <laughs> Certainly in this. Yeah, part
2: depending on life. the area in Tel Aviv, like South Tel Aviv is not that.
0: OK, OK. But uh, is there any is there a, dis- a discourse in Arabic in Israel about this issue? Mansour Abbas is very much against it. Uh, what about the other parties? What about the, the public opinion on the street?
2: So they, they almost don't talk about it. Um, so, for example, Ahmed Tibi, um, he was interviewed to an Arabic uh, um, news like, uh, like podcast as well uh, before the elections, and he said that he's against it. Uh, he will never support it, that this is something wrong. And he knows that his base core of, of voters are conservatives that are against it and will never accept it. And for example, if we want to go throughout the whole parties, you have uh, Ibtisam in, Marane in the Labour Party. She's the only Arab uh, uh, member of parliament who ever waved the, um, the LGBTQ uh, plus flag inside of the Israeli parliament and spoke about it and wrote about it. Uh, She was the one, for example, a few years ago, she did like, uh, sorry for the question, uh, with the LGBT Arabic community. Um, So she kind of ignited this huge debate inside of the Arabic world as well about it. Uh, We have the representative in Merit's party, where she, before the elections, she had a comment saying that she's going to, not vote no matter what on the subject of the LGBTQ community, because she knows that the community that she comes from is conservative, and not welcoming to that subject. So this is like a, a, a red line, not to cross and,
1: and she's in Meretz.
2: And, and she's in Meretz. Exactly. This is like Rose the most left wing yeah, no, party a, that we have in point Israeli point. parliament. And that was something that, that really ignited even a huge debate about Meretz itself. And then like, uh, and with the party itself, like, wait, what is going on now? Um, but I believe that the Arabic community like the Jewish community is really um, like divided to, to like to different, like more conservative, more liberal, more open-minded, agnostics, uh, non-religion or whatever they, 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 they consider themselves. And unfortunately we haven't seen um, much differences in the Israeli politic but we are starting to see it now because up till today in the last decade we had only one party that everyone was like in it and that was like the only Arab representatives and I believe that we are we need to stop uh, and prevent even from sectorial parties to run to parliament because I believe that every party need, needs to be a mixed party and eventually we all need to work together and talk to each other uh, because this is how we need to to solve our problems and issues, not to stay divided, everyone in in his own thing.
0: I was talking yesterday uh, to a colleague of mine who's a sociologist. He's an expert on, uh, he's a sociologist in general and specifically an expert on Israeli society. And he was mentioning to me how in Israel, more than other places, everything is very much a group identity. And, you know, Benny, you like to talk about how it's not, elections here are rarely ever about policies. They're more about group identities, which is why... You know people stick with their parties and 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 even if it even if the party's not advancing the policies they think they want or, or whatever and you know you see this and, and i'm i'm wondering you know you have uh, i i already don't like the way this sentence is going to sound you have the odd arab on different political lists right you've had you've always had Druze members of the likud and of even israel mm-hmm. You have now uh, Muslims in uh, Avoda and Meretz, right? We have these things. Um,
2: yeah, well, you're... Meretz had the Muslim candidate uh, and Avoda as well had the Muslim yes. candidate for a really long time.
0: Yes, I, I think they, they always had. Um, uh, and, and I don't want it to, to seem tokenized, but it, it's certainly not at the point where you, what you're envisioning, where it's just normal that can we ever get past these identity politics? Um, you know, th- th- that would be an interesting... Yes future where when the, alien, when the aliens come and we realize that we're all one human race you know what i honestly i if and, and this is a huge if if we can ever get past the not it'll never be fully solved but if we can ever get to a point where the arab jewish aspect here is is less and less of an issue and, and that's a huge if obviously then we can focus on all the other conflicts that divide us about ideology and politics and all of these things um and then you could you can imagine situations where where we're divided on our ideas and not just on our identities um which is a really weird twist on on a like a Martin Luther King type type speech i have a dream i, I had a dream where we judge each other by what we say <laughs> by um by
2: what we is, wear Israel, and not it,
1: it'll it. be like do you do you
0: like amba or not
2: like fashion, fashion police with John Rivers.
0: Well, you were going to wear a much more exciting shirt for this lecture, and then you decided uh, not to. <laughs> but has the uh, the 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 role in that. Um, where where did I want to take this? Um, oh, I totally forgot now. I was distracted. I was distracted. Fighting
2: because of ideas and not because of it. Yeah, no, my
0: my kids walked in three times because they were fighting in the other room, and uh, what all <laughs> I'm trying to do. This. Fighting about their differences. They're fighting. About- <laughs> wearing the couch, much like the... Much like the, the no, I, I remember what I was going to say. Now, what you're talking about is it's interesting. And, and um, you know, are we going to a place where our identities, even among the more conservative parts of society, I guess maybe we could call it an Israelization of, of the Arab society in Israel to an extent, where people you said it used to be one party. And why does it have to be one party that all Arabs have to vote for, right? If if I'm recalling that part of the conversation. Can can we be going, are we going to a place where where you're getting less of a tribal and more of an individualist thing? And 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 I'm sorry to be taking it back to the whole UAE thing, but one one of the things that has been fascinating me on, on, on my interactions with different and again, literally people from all over the Arab world and the Muslim world who live in the UAE, because it's, it's such an advanced society, that you're seeing there, I'm noticing it at least. Um, and I'm curious if it's coming here also, and, and maybe it's just a, a, a result of social progression and higher socioeconomic status, that you're able to transcend these tribal identities Right, we're you know you're able to be like okay we're not just Israeli Arabs here and now we're this and this and this and then you can transcend the tribal identity and get into being more individualistic more you know I'm this person I have these ideas and I don't need to stand with this group just because I was born into that group um, I can I can have political ideas I can have economic ideas I can have well for, forgive me forgive me for for going here and and you're gonna slap yeah. me for saying this but like
1: Every, every group of people has their has, has the limits of what they're able to talk about, the limits of where their thoughts are able to take them. And I think that in many cases, you know Jonathan has had the benefit of of growing up since age eight or nine in a, in a democratic society where he's been able to, for whatever reason, uh, you know, or for, for for better or for worse in terms of, of its impact, he's been able to state his mind and he can he can talk about the political situation in Israel freely and openly without. Any fear of retribution by the authorities and what he might say. And I think that some people in other places in the Middle East that are, you know, in the Arab Gulf where where it is very individual individualistic in so many ways, but also very more
0: individualistic. Yeah.
1: More individualistic in many ways and very economically successful, you know, they they may we're human beings. We we have political opinions about what's going on in our countries. And I think that in in you know in, in that kind of a society, you can't utter your political opinions if they don't jive with the with the approved narrative that's coming out of the government. So that also probably has an impact on how one's individuality is able to develop.
0: Sure, I mean, is that the trend, is that?
2: Yeah, well, the Arab society in Israel are still a tribal society. So for example, the Bedouins in the South, they will, for example, have, I, I know a friend of mine that had this experience. Suddenly when he went to Tel Aviv University, he started discovering some things in history lessons that he was never taught before about the partition plan, about Israel's independence, who started the war, um, what were the casualties, what happened to the Arabs, uh, to the Jews in the Arab world and how they were forced to flee. So that was something that he was, first of all, discovered to when he was 18, 19 years old and he grew up in Israel, Um, but he wasn't taught about it. So when he would go back home and ask his family about it or some in a way question their ideology or their way of thinking, it wouldn't be accepted uh, in a in a pleasant way. Like they didn't like force him to flee the village or like kicked, like like verbally like attacked him. Uh, but it wouldn't it wasn't really accepted nice by them. And it's really um, happening in almost every village. They always have like uh, who's the majority of the tribal uh, people that will act okay everyone in this family you're going to vote for this person or this party and that's how it works um, and unfortunately and not unfortunately I do believe that we are in steps to becoming more uh, like uh, individualists um, like the Jewish community in Israel, like every Western community around the world, and even in the UAE and other places where we will be able to discuss. So for example, yes, we do live in a democratic state where they don't arrest me if I go and criticize the government, but the society itself is not necessarily democratic or allows these kinds of ideas to be presented. That's why, for example, when I write about my own opinions and ideas, Sometimes the only thing that I will get from the Arab, you know, followers is just a curse. Not even a, like a, a some sort of a debate on what they think about it. They will just curse me because I think differently, and that's it. And this is something that I'm I'm just starting to see to see this change. Um, we need to kind of promote this this capability of having a dialogue without cursing first uh, at each other.
0: Is it, is it tiring? Do you find it tiring or do you feel that you have yes. a mission?
2: And I, I thank God for COVID. <laughs> no, I'm <Okay>. kidding. <laughs> because for a year and a half, I really had time to reflect on, on the things that I did and what I want to, to do in the future, because these, these like three years of me operating the minorities project being every other week, almost in the States leading a different delegation, for about three years to more than 30 delegations it was really exhausting uh having to face like uh cruelty from from other people calling me not not just names but almost like physically trying to attack me um it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of energy and um i do have the courage but sometimes i don't have the energy enough
0: for yeah. it. I, I totally hear you and and you know, um, B- Benny and I on this show, I mean, thankfully we get to choose who our guests are and we don't have to interact with our listeners. Um, but Although we would love to interact with our listeners. if We they... wouldn't, no, well, the ones who, who, no, the people who come to a podcast, you, you don't have protesters on a podcast, you know? No. Yeah,
2: please um, email me on, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like letters to the system.
0: Um, you know, but um, it, it, it's tiring, you know, B- Benny and I feel like we're stuck in, in this place. Nuance is a hard place to be, right? and we feel like we're always stuck in this place where on the one hand we're trying to you know not necessarily on this show, but but as individuals we each do this in a different way we're trying to like we talked about defend Israel because it's being delegitimized on the other hand we feel like there are problematic trends in Israel that we're trying to you know have a conversation with Israeli society so you feel like you're one person trying to have two different conversations and and it takes courage and it takes you know uh, a lot of energy it takes a lot of energy to to walk this path yeah, and uh, you energy. know so so good good for you for doing it um it, it, you know you, you're a complicated person like you said uh, uh, god uh, dumped all the ingredients in and, <laughs> and uh, did that are are you um are you hopeful about your personal future in israel
2: Oh yeah, this is something that I always uh, keep in mind. Like I'm always hopeful. Um, it's like in a way, sometimes in, in different situation, I will, I will expect the worst <laughs> always from a situation, but I will always keep uh, uh, the hope in my mind. And this is what leads me eventually. If I didn't have any hope that my actions or, or the words that I'm saying or the things that I'm doing Will not change someone's mind, or or not only change his mind, but make him think more about it. I wouldn't have done what I did I've did, and I wouldn't have put so much energy and effort on it. Okay. Um, and and uh, so hope is always there, and hope will always. Yeah, now I feel like uh, a <laughs> mother I'm, con-
0: I'm convinced, by the way, that you know, uh, I forget which one of you said this earlier, but when, when people are exposed to the truth. And when people are engaged in conversation, it's hard to do a mass media, but, you know, again, that's why we started the show when people are engaged in a way and when you have when you're able to get past the anger or the fear, and they usually go together um, and have this conversation, you know, you can reach you, you really can convince people um, that, you know, to to soften their positions to think about new things and it's, it takes time and it's and it's it's tiring, but, but it works. You know, people at the end of the day, we're all people. And this is kind of one of the things that, that really was reinforced in me with the Abraham Accords throughout the whole region. People that, that are, we have listeners, um, not, I mean, uh, we have listeners literally throughout every country in the Middle East. And it's so encouraging that people are willing to listen to this show called Juanst and, and to, to listen, to just listen. And, and it's not a short show. You know, every episode is, <laughs> is two plus yeah. hours. Um, So I'm I'm convinced by that. I'm convinced. uh, I'm I'm encouraged by the things you're saying. I'm encouraged by the conversations I've had and people are met. At the end of the day, we're we're all people um, that have been shaped by our surroundings. We've been shaped by, you know, what has been fed to us throughout generations. And once you're able to break past that just a little bit, or if something can crack that armor, and today the ability to do that with social media. You know, it's a double-edged sword. You have a lot of extremists on social media, but you also have, you know, the ability to get past your little geographic bubble or to get past your ethnic bubble or your linguistic bubble, and to be able to say, "Oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe these people or those people or that religion or this religion, maybe they're not what I thought. Maybe they're they're normal." And and so, um, we we have a lot of work to do uh, for certain. Um,
2: it was my surprise when I went to the UAE. I like, I never expected it to be that way.
0: What? What? What was? I was, was your like, surprise? completely
2: what did you shocked. I what, don't know. You- I like, I, I really, I, 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 thought that it's gonna be like this, you know, as any other typical Arab <laughs> country that I experienced. <laughs> that it's, it's not like well organized, and you know, it's like chaos and uh, not necessarily like regular roads. And I've never really like I've I've always like seen Dubai as like this huge thing, but I've never like really thought about it because I thought that I would never visit there. It's like, so why should I like like even like make my mind think about it if I'm not ever going to visit there? And suddenly that happened. And then I was asked to go on this delegation with Sharaka, like even before Sharaka was, was founded as Sharaka. But it was like the first ever delegation, civil delegation to the UAE that I had the privilege to be part of. And, um, and I was completely shocked when, when meeting like these students and these activists and, uh, and uh, pro- like professors and, and businessmen and women. That was to me like a, like a whole different, uh, I, I thought that they're way more conservative than- No yeah, so liberal. I, I that's what like that's what I'm caught talking. me. Like, it's the most how liberal like, <laughs> and they are. Yeah. And I, I was like I prejudiced about
1: it. And I and I can't wait. And I've said this to Dan many times. You know, it's it's almost crazy by this point because because the Abraham Accords and 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 the Arab Gulf have become such a reoccurring theme on our show, and and for good reason, of course. It's just a profound thing. Uh, but it's crazy that every single episode where we're talking about it, it's we're in this sort of weird. Vacuum type period where it's all in terms of the people going and seeing each other, it's all one way. It's yeah. with the exception of that one delegation that came back. Uh, I don't remember, Dan, it was last December or, or earlier.
0: It was on Hanukkah.
1: Yeah. And it's all Israelis going to the Gulf and not the other way. And yeah, code. someone who works, we didn't talk about this, Jonathan. But I, work in, I work in tourism, you know, and, and, and I understand the transformative power that tourism can have you know, for me, it will become a legit thing. I know it's legit, but like, you know, it will be very, very legit when I start seeing numbers of people from the Gulf visiting Israel and to see, you know, is it just a curious sort of a thing? Is it sort of a fluke thing? Or is it, you know, obviously Israelis are very excited about the opportunity to visit the Gulf. I want to know if they're also excited about visiting Israel. And I want to see how they, and in what numbers they come to Israel and experience Israel and, 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 and to really see that it's, you know, beyond the the presence in social media that we're all able to see, and I hope that they do. Uh, and, and I know that you I think Chirac- we should
2: launch a campaign.
1: I would love to launch. Like, hey,
2: you, do you want to come to Israel? Like, we it's hot here, but it's still twenty degrees less than it yeah, it's than it is in your place. Less hot
0: than you. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't mention this. I was I was there in early June, and it was fifty degrees and humid. For our American 50. audience, Dan, what is that? 50 degrees Celsius, 100, like 300 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit with high humidity. Oh my God. I, and that was only early June. I've never experienced anything like this. It was shocking. Like that level of heat I've never experienced in my life. It was shocking. Um, ever since I came back, it, you know, even when it gets like into the mid thirties here, which is pretty hot. I'm, I'm like, it's not that bad. <laughs> okay. um, not, not, not bad. Benny, I'm convinced they will come here. Uh, we have to keep in mind they're only a million people. Um, the the rest yeah, of the country are. Is we'll
1: million. see it after COVID. I know that they're just a million people, but it's also another destination that's nearby for them.
0: Yeah. So there I, is- I'm, I'm sure they're going um, sure to come here. I'm sure they're going to come here. I'm sure they're going to visit. Uh, it's a different atmosphere. The ones I've met are excited. They're super curious. Uh, a lot of people learning Hebrew, watching Israeli television, connecting to Israeli music. I think. Um, and they know the Mediterranean because they do travel yeah. around the Mediterranean. So I think, you know, uh, I have a feeling they'll come here. And I hope. I, like- I
1: guess. I guess to clarify what I mean, I don't expect them to come in the numbers that Israelis have been going to to there. I no, think there's also- only
2: 19,000 Israelis went to the UAE since the peace agreement. It's it's, it's a official bubble. numbers. Yeah, it's two
0: hundred thousand. No, it's a- um, no. That's a seriously, different. That's a, the statistics I saw.
2: They just like published one like two days ago and they said 19,000. No. We'll to, maybe we'll in one month? It.
0: No, no. It Since be... the Abraham Accords were signed, 200,000 Israelis have visited the UAE. Really? During COVID?
2: Yeah. Yeah, because now, we'll, it was we'll find... the only green country yeah, that you, green. you're allowed to visit. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the Israeli government forced you to fly only to Dubai. Pretty much. <laughs> the first well,
1: few I, I want to check those numbers, but but I I obviously <laughs> don't expect the numbers to be the same going the other direction, both because of the fact that it's it's, it's a smaller population of people, and because Israel's only going to let people come into Israel like that after Dubai and after the UAE is considered a much more safe country, COVID-wise, which may be you know after after COVID really dies down, so it it could be that that'll have an impact too. But what I what I would like to see is that the people that do come here in whatever numbers they are aren't all on some sort of a delegation that the that they're coming here of their own you know yeah. because they decided that Israel was an interesting place and they wanted to check it out they wanted to come and see it and they wanted to do business here or they wanted to go and have a vacation or they wanted to meet friends or whatever it might be that they're not being escorted to, to, to you know to be here yeah um, I'm curious, Jonathan, just to conclude and we can wrap up with this. where can I in Israel get? Uh, Kibania. what? Where can I find kibbenaya to eat?
2: Ah, uh, kibani.
1: See, I mispronounced everything. <laughs> Dan didn't correct well, me though, so maybe he didn't know either. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know.
2: <laughs> At my place, <laughs> my mom I get, I've, ever, menu. I've
0: never seen that in any menu, and I've had it here in America. Yeah. Friggin' awesome. Where's the best Lebanese food in Israel? Where if you had to point us.
2: Well, if you want the best uh, Knafe, Lebanese Knafe, uh, it's not a regular Knafe because it comes inside of this small purse made out of like kak, Lebanese kak. It's like a a bread. So it's like a a Knafe inside of a bread. And uh, the the woman that makes it is Farah Raslan. She's a Lebanese uh, chef here in Israel. She participated in MasterChef. And ready? she has a place in uh, in uh, Gamahula in uh, next to Kiryat Shmona. She sells her uh, um, her knafeh, and uh, I know that, she, that she's going to open in a few like weeks a place that is really similar to uh, Beirut Shuk, yeah. and she's going to be doing food there. So this nice. is definitely going to be like the Lebanese, authentic Lebanese food. <laughs> I in see Israel. a
1: culinary episode where we go on the road uh,
0: in our future I here. We'll, we'll have you'll have to take us on a culinary of tour. Of food of northern. Oh Israel. yeah,
2: I lo- There is some few actually. Like, former Lebanese, not part of the South Lebanon Army, but like they came here in the eighties and nineties. Uh, but there are some locations like there's one like great shawarma that we can go to. There's like an amazing restaurant that it's called Alazim in uh, in Shlomi. Um, that the owner used to be like Lebanese way back ago, and so we should definitely like visit like the Lebanese places.
0: All right, we'll put this together. Sounds like, like fun. Like, by the way, I, that we didn't think to ask: was there ever a connection with the Jews of Lebanon that that came to Israel? I mean, did have you or your family or the Lebanese Christian community here? Did you ever connect to the? Jewish Lebanese community here?
2: Um, no, actually, I just met one, one person by accident in Tel Aviv. Um, I was going like with a person like interviewing people, and then he said like, "Well, I was originally from Lebanon." and Then suddenly, we like started talking in Lebanese Arabic, and I met actually a few of the Jewish Lebanese uh, society in Miami. That was like nice, and in Tampa, in Florida, that was like super exciting.
0: We we had some at at the shul at the synagogue I used to go to in uh, outside of Washington D.C. There's a also a Lebanese Jewish community. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Well, uh, if people want to reach out to you, if people want to follow you, if people want to invite you to lecture, um, how can they find you? How can they reach you?
2: Well, on my Twitter um, with the handle Jonathan um, underline elk, and on my Facebook by my name Jonathan Elkhouri.
0: Fantastic, and we'll put those on the show notes of the podcast. Um, so for those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, there will be an audio podcast go live tomorrow. Um, and then on the show notes, you can find uh, ways to get a hold of Jonathan. Uh, we thank you. This has been uh, fascinating, um, really fascinating and absolute pleasure to speak with you.
2: Yeah, thank you as well for having me. I'm like really... I didn't expect that it was already two hours. <laughs>
1: Everyone says that. it goes by quickly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, what what are we gonna talk about like in two hours?
0: <laughs> exactly. <Good. laughs>
2: so Don't thank work. you, Benny and Dan, for for having me. It was like really exciting, and uh, I think next time we'll definitely do the food. <laughs>
0: It sounds good. No, have, it?
1: We, we're not saying that like, facetiously. We're going to actually make that happen. We're going to have You're a oh, oh, yeah, follow up
2: yeah. episode. I had a definitely food taking show, place on the episode. So rubber. I could definitely do that. Don, deal.
0: I'm looking for a good uh, Halloumi because uh, I'll only eat kosher um, shawarma. But uh, if you can find some good Halloumi and some, uh, you know. So thank you so much. And um, <laughs> all right, we will see you all next week for a special Juanced Live with Rabbi Tamar Elad Applebaum. This has been Jewanced. And uh, Benny, continue to enjoy your vacation. Uh, I, I will, although
1: I have to go work now. It's not, it's not really a vacation
0: when you have to work, but it's, uh,
1: it's, a, it's a change of scenery and it's a change, a change of state of mind. So
0: As long anyways, guys, ready?
1: thanks so much for tuning in. Take
2: care, everybody. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Have a great day.
1: Jewanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you
0: get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juonst.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juonst.